movies for life i'm one of your co-hosts brian kuyper and i'm your other co-host michelle Egan. and we're gonna hit the tracks today <laughs> go on our journey uh get on our bikes get on our bikes and ride for, yeah um go for an adventure go for a, going on an adventure getting in touch with our 12 year old selves to uh-huh. uh, see if we can uh, remember what it was like to have those experiences with our friends back in the day. Um, I know, some a little bit sad, some a little bit scary even, but mostly really, really funny, fun yeah. adventures with, with our friends. Uh, of course, we're talking about two great coming-of-age movies. One of them, I think, might be the greatest or most influential coming-of-age movie ever made. One. Yeah, sure. the one that people point to the most, for sure. And uh, the other one is a hoot. Uh, so. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it just yet. We'll talk about it more later. I mean, obviously, there had been other coming-of-age movies before this. I think of To Kill a Mockingbird as an important coming-of-age film. But it's a pretty different movie. It's about how kids relate to adults. This is kids relating to kids, really, in both situations uh, how we find our relating to the world f- friends and relating to the world yeah so we're going to start with uh, my pick which is from 1986 rob reiner's stand by me and then we're going to go to my pick which is from 1995 now and then which is yes it's stand by me for girls but more or less <laughs> I, I think there's incorporations of other things in there as well um, yeah so now, Stand By Me is is an important movie to me, I'll admit. I, it's hard for me not to watch this without nostalgia glasses, but god damn, is this a good movie. I can't... It's still just a good yeah, movie. Yeah, I can't... Um, I know that I can't separate it from my personal experiences with the movie. Um, seeing it when it first came out on video, I'm sure. I, I know I didn't see it in the theater. I was eight years old when it came out in the theater. Uh, being an R-rated movie, I don't think I probably would have seen it. But it, it's just um, one of those that my parents watched it, I think, and then said, yeah, this would be fine for you guys to watch. So my brother and I watched it together and both kind of instantly were just kind of blown away by it. And it was, I remember being one of the first movies along with RoboCop and a couple others that my dad bought in like a video store sale. They were getting 
rid of older, you know, their used copies of mm-hmm. the movies that were no longer new releases. Let's put it that way. Right. And so this was one of them. And so we had like this clamshell, hard shell case of this thing forever. Oh, wow. Um, and then eventually I picked up the real deal on DVD and I actually just bought yeah. the Blu-ray to <laughs> to watch it for this. So <laughs> Nice. Well, for me, like this coming out in... 1986, which was right after I was born. I mean, this was just one of those movies that you grew up with. Like, it was just a part of your life if you were a kid, pretty much. That's what it seemed like. It seems like one of those movies that was, it was just always there. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew everything about it. And it's, I can't, I can't remember the first time I saw it because it it was probably super young and it just kind of feels ingrained in me. Yeah. And it sort of has become that to me. Rewatching it today or yesterday after many years. Years. It's been a while since I've sat down with this yeah, one. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't watched it all the way through in a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, I still remembered every beat. I remembered mm-hmm. just about every line. It was just one of those things. Where it was like it's just something I was very comfortable with. It felt like it was in there. And after I finished watching it, I was like, you know, does this belong on my forever favorites list somewhere? Oh, you know, because that good, huh? Yeah, because it means that I, yeah, I know I gave it a four and a half in my letterbox reviews. So, <laughs> but but still, I think there's there's just things about it that feel very timeless, even though it takes place in uh, 1959, 1960. Well, it's a frame story. Yeah, it technically takes place in true modern time. Yeah, when <laughs> for in 1986 modern 1986. Time. Yeah. yeah, but even. <laughs> Even the frame story part of it, the modern part of it, which is very brief. I mean, there's it, it doesn't feel dated. It doesn't feel like it's the 80s, except for the computer that he types except on. Except for the computer? Yeah, Excuse me. Yeah, except th- that's... <laughs> he's typing on that? I had to laugh. I'm that is That is about the only thing. But that was that was like, you know, I remember people who had that computer. That was a, that was a big deal to have a computer uh, in 1986. That's, but that's really the only thing. Like he's sitting in that car. I swear that first shot is not Richard Dreyfuss sitting in that car um but then it goes interior and it's definitely him but i'm not sure but i think another thing that i found about this this was the first time that i watched uh, a movie and the credits came up and i saw the end and it said based on the body by stephen king and i was like that was a Stephen King story, <laughs> you know, because at the time he yeah. was really only thought of as a horror writer. Uh, now he's done so much since then that, you know, I mean, even you look at things like Mr. Mercedes and you know, that trilogy and things like that, and they're not exactly horror. I mean, he's written a lot of not exactly horror since then. Sure. Uh, whereas here, I mean, Different Seasons was a big deal for him to do. Yeah, it was a, it was the same thing with the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Everyone was like, Stephen King wrote that movie? I know, what? and that was it's almost, so normal. And that was almost like, 10 yeah. years later, yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting, and of course, of the same collection, uh, the Different yeah. Seasons collection Different is, seasons. has um, you know given us three films of the four out of the four stories. I don't think they'll have... I don't think the last one the, is going to be made in time. <laughs> I don't think you ever could. I mean, that is... I don't think you could. Yeah, it's it's a very odd thing. You could maybe do a really eccentric, a eccentric episode of something, uh, of a television series sure. or something with it. Like a Black Mirror type of thing. Yeah, or something. <laughs> Feels like, yeah, you know? Yeah, something like that. 
but obviously Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption uh, turned into what the number one IMDb yeah, movie, movie ever, ever yeah. uh, for some reason. Even though I like that movie. I think the Shawshank Redemption is a good movie, but the best ever made, I, I struggle with At that. least the most popular. At least the most popular. Then, of course, Apt Pupil, which is a very disturbing story about uh, a young man who discovers his neighbor is a Nazi and or ex-Nazi. That's a good adaptation, though. The film is interesting. It's got um, uh, Ian. Brad Mc- Renfro is amazing. Yeah, and Ian McKellen is quite. You know, I mean, he's and that was before Ian McKellen was really n- known in this country. Be- this was before Gandalf. This was. You know, I think it was even before he played James Whale in Gods and Monsters. So uh, he was he's quite frightening in it. It was before Magneto, for yeah. sure. You know, those are the things that really made him well known in this nation. But um, that's a very disturbing story and a disturbing movie. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, it's a little bit problematic, of course, now because of who directed it. But um, it's a uh, Brian Singer. Oh, that's right. But um, it's it is an interesting about that. Yeah, but it is an interesting film. And then of course the body and this this is the one that Stephen King and there had been a lot of movies made of Stephen King stories by this point, and some of which he really praised. You know, he he seemed to really like Carrie. He seemed to really like Cujo. He especially mm-hmm. he highly praised D. Wallace's performance in that as the best performance in a film adaptation of his. I and mean, he said even better he thought than Annie Wilkes, uh, than Kathy Bates's Annie Wilkes. Ooh. Yeah. So that's I think that's phrase, a really yeah. interesting thing. And that of course yeah. came later. But he said Stand By Me was the first really successful adaptation of his work to film. And I don't entirely agree with that. <laughs> Well, more like universally yeah. beloved, probably, and sure. well known is probably what he's talking about. Yeah, well, I mean, I think in some ways, I think Carrie is superior to his book, uh, the film version. I think the ending that Brian De Palma created for it, I think, is more effective. I think Christine is a banger. I love Christine. Love Christine. We've, we've already talked about that one. I loved it even more after we talked about it. I love that one. Though. Yeah. It's like one of my top five, probably, yeah. adaptations. Yeah, and I'm just thinking the ones that came before this. I I think the Dead Zone is really good. Dead Zone. Uh, I think Children of the Corn is awful. I'm sorry, I just <laughs> can't stand that movie. And of course, I know it's not a successful adaptation, but of course, The Shining is a great film. It's not an adaptation of his book, though. I think uh, Salem's Lot is a pretty good, you know, television movie. Um, also, you know, diverges quite a lot from King's book, but the best elements of that movie are straight from King. You know, like when people talk about, you know, the kid outside the window, floating outside the window, that's right out Mm -hmm. of the book. Anyway, those are just some thoughts. So that's Stephen King's opinion of, of this film. And I think what he gets to is this is, as far as personal works, it's hard to find a film that is more personal than this. In a lot of ways, because I think it's personal to King, but it's also personal to Rob Reiner. And then if because he put a lot of himself into this as well, he was about that same age in that time. Um, You hear Richard Dreyfuss talk about it and he said it was very personal to him because he was a friend of Rob Reiner's. They were about the same age. Uh, They went and saw a lot of movies together. They knew each other about that age, around 15 in that case. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. it was That's interesting. Cool. And watch the the special features. He Richard Dreyfus is like, he practically seems to think the movie was about him. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a very odd little interview, but it's true. I mean, it's so it's clearly very personal to him. As far as the kids go, too, I think it's really personal to those four leads as well. I mean, oh, man. when you hear especially Will Wheaton and Corey Feldman talk about it, it's like deeply personal to them. And Rob Reiner gets on there and he says, you know, the reason why he casts these four, he says, these are young kids and you they haven't really developed their craft yet. So you have to cast people who are pretty close to the personalities of the characters. And that's exactly what he mm. did. And he said, yeah. I, I cast Will Wheaton because he had this wonderful face and very sort of very intelligent, very thoughtful young man. Corey Feldman had a ton of anger in him. And I could see that. And he had a lot of things. And now we that has come out. We know the abuse he was going through and the sort of yeah. horrible things happening with his family. So, I mean, that was that kind of casting. Um, Jerry O'Connell was just sort of a goofy little kid. He had, goofy, yeah. Yeah, he had, never, <laughs> he had never been in a movie before. He was so excited that he got to say fuck and shit um, <laughs> in front of his mom because it was in the script. Um, right. It's so funny. Watching the, uh, his, he has only a little brief interview in it, but he's so funny in that. I've seen him talk about it before. He seems just had the best time yeah, <laughs> yeah i love i love interviews with him about this movie then uh, unfortunately mm-hmm. there were no interviews with river phoenix about it because he passed away far too young and you see in this movie that the most perfect casting yeah ever yeah it's him as chris that natural leadership shows through that peacemaking that yes. sort of can and he, he talks about, Rob Reiner talks about sort of a connection with the earth. I remember th- them talking about him in this movie or just in this role as, like you said, yeah, he was very much cast the way he was in real life. They always described him as an old soul. And I love oh. that. And you can totally, you can absolutely yes. see that in the way he plays Chris. Yes. And he's able to co- make connections emotionally yes. that young people don't make. Mm-hmm. And... You know, some of that's the part credit- where he's crying about the teacher was just oh. yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's, I, sorry to bring it back to the special feature out there. It's called you know, walking the tracks or the summer of Stand by Me or something like that. It was made quite some time ago because we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of this movie. This was made at the 25th anniversary, I think. So mm-hmm. it's a long time ago now. But he was saying for that scene, you know, first of all, he got these kids together and he did like a week of just mm-hmm. rehearsal. You know, sort of old school, you know, Sidney Lumet style rehearsal, playing theater games, getting Getting them them to play together and Mm -hmm. get to know each other and develop that friendship group dynamic thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that shows through. I mean, to Mm -hmm. have there are lots of things, but um, the scene you were talking about with the teacher, you know, it's like maybe I tried to give it back. You know, he said that Rob Reiner says that's my favorite scene I've ever filmed because or or. At least in this movie, he said, and uh, he said this is his favorite filmmaking experience he's ever had, but he he wasn't getting the emotion he needed. So he went to River Phoenix and says, I I want you to have, he did like, you know, sense memory stuff with him and said, is there a time that you had an adult, you know, who really wronged you, who betrayed you in some Mm -hmm. way? And he said, okay, okay, let me think about it. He went away for, you know, I don't know, a little while, who knows how long, 
comes back and says, okay, I'm ready. And he shoots that scene that you see in the film. And you're like, <laughs> something, how he yeah. was able to latch on, get these kids to latch on to those kinds of craft elements. Only an actor could do that, I think. And, you know, I think Rob Reiner says, you know, the only, he says, the only reason I've ever, if I'm any good as a director, it's because I was an actor. And his movies are about performances. These performances of the kids in this movie, the conversations that they have with each Mm -hmm. other could easily just be translated to adults and you probably wouldn't have to change too much about it, you know? Yeah. I was watching, I was thinking about this while I was watching. I was like, it's City Slickers. Those same kinds of conversations, you know, about the VCR, the flashing thing on the VCR and, you know, what's the best day of your life and all this stuff. You know, all that stuff is it's it's essentially stand by me, except with middle aged sure. guys. Okay. Okay. It's middle aged yeah. guys instead of uh, little kids. You know, it's the same idea, though. The, the funny parts and the more serious mm-hmm. parts. It could they, they could these could easily be adults having these this exact same conversation that like Chris and Gordy have about you know his father hating him or <sighs> stuff like that. Ugh. And they act it just as well as adults yeah. could because they're just this group of kids is just the mo- probably the most talented. I can't think of one right now. I didn't think of it beforehand. Like the probably the most talented like group of child actors that I've I can th- recall seeing. I can't in the movie. think of one either. I mean, and then you add Kiefer Sutherland into that, who was a very young man when he made this, too. And you just have this ensemble. That's one of his first roles, Toast. It was, yeah. yeah, It's definitely one of his earliest roles. But, yeah, I mean, Corey Feldman was the best known up to this point. Uh, He had been in Gremlins and um, a couple of the things before this, Friday 13th. But had he done Goonies yet? I think he'd done Goonies. And so... He had sort of been, he was the best known of the four at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. River Phoenix was kind of just emerging. I don't think he'd done Running on Empty yet, which he just took a different track as far as child stars go. I mean, he was in movies that were like like an indie actor would choose, yeah. you know, rather than, you know, things like Goonies and Gremlins. <laughs> you know, that th- those <laughs> are the kinds of movies you think of kid actors being in. But Sure. Um, the kid venture movies. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and Corey Feldman became such a big star uh, in sort of those teenage years too, you know, with his stuff we did with Corey Haim. You know, the next year mm-hmm. after this, he's in the Lost Boys and just that kind of stuff. And then Jerry O'Connell, like now, is kind of unrecognizable. Oh, I know. When he was a kid, (laughs) which I love. I had like one, not in a bad way or anything, but it's always kind of like, oh, that's right. I forgot that that kid grew up into that guy. <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you. I, a nice glow up. Yeah, totally. Oh, I know. When I, when, <laughs> when I saw him sort of emerge as an adult, because he's one of those actors. He was here as a kid. Uh, then he went away and he came back yeah. as an adult. And it was like, yeah. wait a minute. That's the kid from Stand By Me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, whereas a lot of these actors, um, you know, Corey Feldman and Will Wheaton in particular, you know, they were around and then they were gone. You know, Will Wheaton purposefully did. He left acting because his mom made him do it. He didn't want to be an actor, but man, he was a good one. And he was good on. He's come I th- back though. He's he? come back. He's done some things. He's done um, the Big Bang Theory. He sort of played himself on the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Then Corey Feldman has had, 
you know, lots of ups and downs, obviously, uh, his substance abuse issues and he's tried all kinds of things. He's tried music. He's tried lots of things. So, right. uh, he's just kind of a different kind of guy. Um, but I feel for them though, at the same time, and then river Phoenix, I think really would have been, he would have been his generation's greatest actor. I think so. I, I, I can't imagine that there's anyone from that sort of late Gen X stage that would eclipse him. He would be uh, that generation's De Niro if he was still alive. Watching him in this movie, just like the natural thing that he has about yeah. him in the scenes, mm-hmm. the like I said, like the old soul yeah. look in his eyes, he would have grown up to be the even more, like a million times more talented. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 I, it's just... He would have given us so many great performances. And watching this movie, um, there's sort of a added dimension of sadness to the movie because we know what happened to him. Yeah. Because you know the whole movie starts with us discovering this person that we don't know yet named Chris Chambers is dead. You know, yeah. we see it on the newspaper cover that the writer is reading who turns out to be Gordy grown up. And... And that it's just so much more intense yeah. the way that it ends with him fading away too. God, <laughs> I know it, it's it's <sighs> heartbreaking. That always makes me tear up. <laughs> it's so heartbreaking now, and I remember it not. I remember being shocked when he died, but I, I guess I wasn't as connected with that as I am now, and so now it actually I feel it much more now than I did then when it actually first happened because i was in high school i remember he was supposed to be um the interviewer in an interview with the vampire uh that was going to be sort of his crossover into adult roles uh kind of a thing and yeah just uh it's 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 interesting how anyway a very sad story of course i was just looking at pictures of him he was just he was wonderful (laughs) yeah and and I I wanted to ask you as a obviously for me as a boy I kind of know who I related to in this movie. Did you have like something? Did you relate to them, or was it just kind of like they were entertaining to you? I don't remember ever really relating to any one kid in here. Sure, I did more in now and then. Oh, of course, yeah, that, which makes a them, lot of sense, sure. yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking about that, actually, while I was watching this again. Like, okay, who would I have been of these boys back then? Probably more like uh, Gordy, I would say. I can see that, yeah. Being into, like, the creative, you know, writing is something that I did when I was a kid, too. And so... He seems to be like kind of introverted, but when he says something, he's got something to say. Yeah. Maybe a little shy, but yeah. he comes out of a shell when he's with his, his, with friends. his friends. That's how I was. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Some of the things Gordo says, like, it doesn't seem like it matches up with the kind of person that he is, but it's because he's with his bros, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly right. <laughs> he talks that way. <laughs> Especially, you know, think, that's kind of how you know, it was. Uh, suck my fat one and things like that, you know? <laughs> Cheap dime store hood, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, originally that was Chris. In the book, that's Chris. And Gordy is Stephen King. Is it? God, I don't remember. Uh, in my mind, Gor- the, the, Gor- the differences yeah. between the story. And, and the I had movie. forgotten that until, um, but there are some differences. You know, Gordy, I think, is, King said, you know, Gordy was, he thought of as kind of a narrator. He didn't think of him as like the hero of the story, really, at all. He was just observing this. And Chris was the one who was really central. And Chris is. He kind of is still. Yeah, he still is. But but at the same time, Gordy is ultimately the one who does the most heroic acts. You know, he's the one who stands up to Ace. Though I got to say, when we, we'll talk about that scene in a minute. But I'm... 
but then, you know, makes the decision about what should be done with the body and things like that. It comes down to Gordy rather than Chris, uh, mm-hmm. which is an interesting change that I think works. I think Gordy needed to have that arc yeah. and that growth, though. So. Yeah, exactly. And that, uh, yeah. So, okay, for me, I'd like to say, yeah, I really relate to Gordy um, because, you know, he was Are you gonna the, say that kid. <laughs> And I would like, uh, there are people, I would have liked to be Chris or Gordy, but I am absolutely Vern. Um, Nothing wrong with being Vern, man. I love Vern. Well, here's the thing about Vern. I mean, I was like, I, I was... When I was that age, I was I was the fat kid. You know, that's why, you know, when I read It, I mean, it was the same deal with um, uh, the Ben. It was like, I, I, I see myself in, in these kids that King is writing. I was that kid. And then I was awkward and dorky, and I never felt like I really belonged with my friend groups. I always yeah. was like, I always like, they tolerate me. They don't actually like me. I yeah, you know, I still too. feel yeah. that way. I like you. you. Know, be- I know, I know, I know. But you know what I mean? That <laughs> yes. that that's yeah. that's been something I've struggled with for most of my life. Has been people tolerate me. They don't actually like. They don't me. actually want me around. Yeah, they just yeah. when I am around, they're like, okay, cool, she's here. Yeah, I've had those feelings too. Yeah, and you see that in that first part it was like you know where they're coming. They're in the treehouse. They're the three of them are hanging together and then there's a knock on the door. It's not the secret knock. Well, I forget the secret knock. Vern. They're all like, <laughs> okay, Vern's here. Seven cents, Vern. That's my, one of my favorite lines. <laughs> the way he says like, it. Maybe. <laughs> so disappointed. Why, why, did, why didn't you bring breakfast food like Twinkies and Pez and root cult. beers? It's like <laughs> Twinkies and Pez and root beers. Like, uh, well, maybe a more experienced shopper could have done more with your seven cents. Um, <laughs> But I do like how the characters are very much set up in this. You have Gordy as the thoughtful one. Teddy's the crazy one, the angry one. You know, Chris is the peacemaker and Vern is the awkward one. And I think we've all known these people or all been these people in Mm -hmm. some ways, uh, you know, at different times. Uh, There's a when they first set out on the road and there's this great line that sort of sets up. You know, they're 12, right? We knew exactly who we were and exactly where we were going, and it was grand. I mean, that's just a great line because it changes so much, you know, throughout the course of the movie. Because I don't think, well, when I heard that line, I was, my first thought was, no, you don't. Exactly. (laughs) That's what this movie is about. Mm -hmm. You think you know exactly who you are and exactly Mm -hmm. where you're going, but you're not going to know until you go through this together. And I think the part where Gordy starts to realize that almost immediately after that too is when he's in doing the shopping, you know, yeah. and he says, You're you're Denny Lachance's brother, right? Yeah. And he says and, and you know, the shopkeeper spouting all his stuff about how great his little his older brother was. Right. And asks him, Do you play football? No. No. Well what do you do? I don't know. So it's like immediately he realizes that what he said before was not right. They didn't know who he was or where he was going. I think that's a just a great little moment. Now, Denny, um, Denny is a different character in the book. As I remember, Denny's a little bit of an asshole in the book. Really? He's briefly in it. He's not, and he's. I think he was killed in the jeep. I think he's dead and all that. But it's different. It's a different dynamic in the movie. You know. And there's also this implication. I don't know. They say Denny died in a jeep accident. 
Which makes me think, okay, that could have been either, you know, he graduates from high school and he, uh, you know, they were screwing screwing around with some friends and, you know, he gets killed. Or he got shipped off to Vietnam and died in a Jeep accident. But it does, it never says that. Never says it. I didn't think about that. But it's something that I had not thought about until this viewing. I think it's better for Gordy, though. I, I can't, see. I can't imagine. I think it would be so much different, so much worse for him if his brother was an asshole. I think it. I think. I mean, he has Chris, but having Denny be that supportive brother who who knows yeah. that he gets more of the attention from the parents, yeah. but is always trying at least trying his hardest to get them to notice him as well i mean that's that's really what he needed he otherwise gordy would be way worse off you know than he is already the way he that he feels uh about his relationship with his parents sure you know and the parents are so i mean to me is i look at this a couple ways i mean it feels a little bit broad as far as the parents go it's like you know why couldn't you be like Denny? Why can't you have friends like Denny? Mm-hmm. You're terrible. I hate you, essentially, is what the Marshall sure. Bell is entirely in this movie. And I don't know if that's supposed to be like his perspective or if it's just kind of a lack of nuance in the movie. <laughs> well, he also says uh, you know. when he's asking for his canteen um, and he's like kind of explaining, you know, their par- his parents basically acting like zombies and not listening to him. He says that Denny only died four months previously. Right. I was like, uh, I'm going to give him a little bit of rope there because that is not enough time to like properly process the death of a child. I mean, no, of course not. Come on, of course, yeah, that that's absolutely. Correct. It's no excuse and, to treat your other child like shit, but that's yeah. I understand that only being four months, like honestly, that's tough. That's one of the things I wonder if. If uh, Rob Reiner is sort of commenting a little bit on the distance between himself and his own father uh, at the time, Carl Reiner and Rob Reiner were quite distant <laughs> from one another for a long time. They've they uh, before Carl Reiner's passing, the two became quite close. Uh, but for a long time, there was definitely sort of this animosity there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if that's you know a little bit of processing of that fact as well maybe even unconsciously i bet it was (laughs) yeah i think so i think so um one of the things that i like is when you know chopper you know the 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 vast difference between myth and reality and that line also makes me realize you know i think that there's a mythic quality to this movie uh i wish i knew certain greek myths better than i do because i think that king is tapping into them for various aspects of this chopper is the quote hellhound you know but then the hellhound turns out to be this sort of <laughs> little kind of kind of a sweetheart of a dog yeah. who just has this <laughs> reputation of being you know chopper's sick balls um he's like the beast in the sandlot <laughs> exactly yeah now that scene is interesting because that's really um teddy's chance mm-hmm. to have his moment where the old guy who runs the junkyard um, milo pressman milo pressman right now you, you were saying milo pressman is that a a recurring character it in, sounds in familiar Steven? doesn't it not it kind of does yeah but I don't know for sure. Yeah. But he does seem very much just like the typical like king, yeah. like a hard nose, trash talking kind of guy. Like, uh, sure. Why do I always forget his fucking name from Christine? He had a lot of blue collar characters that <laughs> that he really he really knew those characters uh, growing up. So I think that's why he writes them so well. What is his name? That guy's name is Christine. I always forget his name. But 
the, Darnell. Darnell. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he's he's got a lot in common with Darnell, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but when uh, Pressman just kind of, I know all you guys, and uh, I'm all your fathers are gonna get a call from me, yeah. except for the loony up in Togus. You know, and Teddy's just attacks the fence. I'm gonna rip your head off and shit down your neck. <laughs> and you see the fucking fire in Corey yes. Feldman's eyes. Now, Corey Feldman, and I've talked about this on, like when I talked about um, the Lost Boys on Pod and the Pendulum years ago. I think that uh, Corey Feldman, at his best, which I think is this, I think is um, there's a, the scene in Goonies. Uh, where he's at the in the well, you know, mm-hmm. this was my wish. Certain moments in Friday Four, he is so good that again, you just kind of there's a little bit of tragedy involved with what happened later with him. Uh, a lot of tragedy because obviously he was going through stuff that he was not talking about at yeah. this time and uh, was not dealing with. And obviously, that anger is part of what made his performances so good, though. You Especially know, like, here. but he. Yeah. He was magnetic on screen. I think this is his best performance. I think this is the best he ever was on screen, in my opinion. And one of the things I love about this, too, is this movie does not have built, you know, like constructed performances of the children, child performances. They they are long takes, often with all four of them on the screen Mm -hmm. at the same time. They're walking together. The camera is handheld. And there's not a bunch of intercutting, like, oh, he's obviously be feding, being fed lines here. There's none of that yeah. in this movie. These kids are so authentic. They are. And I think, again, like you said, I think this is probably the best cast of child performers ever assembled. Um, just those four are so good. It's just, it, it never for a, a moment feels false. And I like the way that he shoots a lot of it to show the, you know, because with the friend group, you're like you're friends with everybody, but then there's always like, um, I'm closer with this person. So in here yeah. we have Chris and Gordy and then Vern and yes. Teddy. And yes. just even like the little moments, like, um, when they're when they're singing lollipop is one of my favorite uh-huh. shots for some reason. I love that when um, the Vern and Teddy are up front and they do like the thing, like boom, 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 and then they go yeah. out of frame, and then it, we're left with just or I I don't know why, but I love that that shot and just kind of like I've showing... always loved that part too. Yeah, and then when um, Chris and Gordy uh, do the race thing when they're in the junkyard yeah. and they have their mm-hmm. little moment together afterwards, it's like I'm gonna get yeah. you the chance, and then they you know. And they, he beats them, but then they have the little, like, I love you, you're my dude kind of moment sure. together. They're so cute together. Absolutely. Or like and we mentioned, is, when they kick each other in the thighs when they're like walking I down. <laughs> they're walking down the street. <laughs> and the genuine terror on their face when the gun goes off. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that shot, it's like they weren't told it was going to go off. It kind of feels like that, doesn't it? You know, that's what it looks like. And, 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 and they're just like, Jesus! Ah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is... Again, it's so authentic feeling in every moment. And also, you know, you have sort of Teddy and Vern are sort of the goofballs Mm -hmm. a little bit, or they're capable of being the goofballs, but they're all given moments of real emotion too. And then you have Chris and Gordy who are more mature. They're more thoughtful. They're both kind of old souls. And you can see that in both of them. And they have their conversations are always much deeper. Mm-hmm. Whenever they have them, you know, sort of on their own, you have the joke, the great funny, like when they're standing guard, 
yes. how they each stand guard. You have Teddy, you know, doing doing his military thing. <laughs> you have you know, being scared of every little noise. Little sound. He's got the gun as you're creeping around the... Another perfect way a, to describe their characters, you know, visually. Is yeah. Something like that. Oh, it's 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 so great. And I love that Chris and Gordy are not afraid to have those conversations with each other either. They're right. very it's very natural to them. They're not afraid to to cry with each other. Whereas Ugh. Teddy yeah. you has like the opposite reaction. And like, that's I'm a, fine, that's a good dude. S- Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm fine. It's like but he's so upset that he ranked out my old man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is one of the shocking things. Like, he took your ear and held it to a stove and burnt it off, you know? And it's like, he's right. He actually did that. You can see his ear is deformed. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but he stormed the beach at Normandy. He's a hero. And and that line that Gordy says is like, I could never understand yes. how he cared so much for his old man who nearly killed him. And I didn't give a shit about mine who hadn't laid a hand <laughs> on me since, since I was, I was three. three. Yeah. And that was for eating bleach under the sink. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a, it's a great line. I mean, that that's, again, that's King. I mean, his, his father left when he was really young, he was raised by his mother. So you have sort of a distant father situation there. And, and the conversation that they have on the tracks, you're talking about the lollipop scene, mm. the one that, that Chris and Gordy are having, Gordy says, do you think I'm weird? Yes, definitely. At first they're joking. And then he says, no, really, am I weird? And he's like, well, yeah, but everyone's, so what? Everyone's weird. And I, mm. it's funny. I had that exact conversation with my wife a couple months ago because I had this weird reaction when I walked into the gym one day and my squat rack was taken. <laughs> And I was, and I, and I was just like, why am I so bothered by this? I said to my, I said to my wife, am I weird? And she goes, she says almost exactly the same thing. Yeah, yeah. but that's fine. <laughs> that's good. You know? Um, so it was, it's true though. And that's the thing is we, we focus, I think there's so much of a need to feel normal that we forget to realize that everyone is weird. Mm-hmm. Being normal is actually the least interesting thing you can possibly be. That's one of my favorite revelations that they have in now and then. Yeah. One of my favorite moments with Vern too, because he has, he's mostly kind of a goofball. He doesn't have like as serious moments as, as the other kids do, but he's one of those ones that just kind of gets it and says it out loud, but doesn't it's not as serious sounding to them at the time when he just says, you know, this is a good time. Mm. And when they say like, you know, we knew exactly what he, that's when he does like, we know, we knew exactly what he meant, you know, because we were like hanging out together and having fun. But I think what Vern really means is like, I'm, I'm accepted by my friends and they're they're having me. We're going on this adventure Mm. together. I think that's what he's feeling, you know, in that moment. This is a good time. This is a, this is a memory that you're always going to have of, uh, no matter how the other kids treat me or anything or you know, how much yeah. we're bullied by the older boys in town like this is my group this is the time this is the kind of thing I'm always going to remember and he gets it right yeah. right in that moment like before anything really serious has happened to them yeah I know one of the things that's great about Vern is he's so optimistic yes. I mean at the very end of the movie what is his last line <laughs> he penny. finds a penny <laughs> I know <laughs> it's just it's so sweet and, that's another thing and, and, that, and then I was like it's like and the, the, the dumb conversation I love all the dumb conversations yes. they have okay because <laughs> what the, the case so you you have what the hell is that's later but i mean what i was thinking was the whole while they're having the conversation while chris and gordy are talking about am i weird and all that and you're going to be a great writer all these things 
He's talking about, wait, there's no way that Mighty Mouse could beat up Superman. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mighty Mouse is a cartoon. Superman is a real guy. There's no way a cartoon could beat up a real guy. It's like, I guess you're right. It'd be a good fight, though. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, now, for me, the the moment of reality, the really where Vern gets his moment of real emotion is the train. When the train is... Mm-hmm when they're crossing the tracks and the thing is one of the things i related to so much was that idea of him crawling on the tracks like mm-hmm. that because i'm terrified especially at that age i was terrified of heights and i i would the idea of actually standing up with no railing walking across something where i could see that far down would have yeah that destroyed scary. me i like that gordy and- too is just not saying anything to him but just kind of following behind you know also yeah. like not yeah. making fun of him for doing it that no. way but maybe understanding what his fear is and just being like okay okay <laughs> i'll just follow you that's cool <laughs> there, there are great lines like it's like well you while you guys or teddy says if you guys are dragging your candy asses halfway across the state and back i'll be on the other side relaxing with my thoughts and then gordy <laughs> says use your right hand or your left hand for, for that, that. <laughs> and then his that his office that I love how Teddy's response is not anger or laughter or anything. It's you wish. <laughs> it's, just, it's great. It's so good. And okay, obviously this is hugely symbolic. They're crossing a bridge. <laughs> a train is bearing down on top of them. I mean, this is death chasing them sure. down. When they're biting the at their heels, yeah. On this, I mean, this, trip. exactly. And they—that's how Ray Brower died. Mm-hmm. He got hit by a train. So there's a lot going on in this scene. Now, uh, f- behind the scenes, I, I mean, I was always like, the—they the, are terrified. It's—it's it's like the train is actually following them, and you know, it's green screen. You know, something's going on mm-hmm. that is not reality here, right? Because, I mean, obviously that would never happen where they'd be put in that real danger. There's one shot where it's super obvious, but... Most of it is... Most of it looks really good. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's one where it's super obvious, but most when of them, I think off. they maybe... There's one that they might have used, like, really long lenses. It looks you know, like and it. Just, and it. And it just flattened the background in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you use a really long le- a telephoto lens, it'll flatten the background in. And so... It, it, it looks like things are closer yeah. than they actually are. But what happened was they were shooting it over and over and over and over and over again. And Reiner just wasn't getting what he needed. And so he yelled at them. He yelled That's at them. That's right. Yeah, he, I remember he this He said, These, this crew is tired. They don't. They don't want to be pushing this dolly on this camera all the way, you know, back and forth on these tracks just because you can't get it right. So get your shit together and do this. <laughs> and, you know, and he did it for a purpose, obviously. And so they are literally, he made them cry. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> as someone who has done that before in class, I have made kids cry. Yes, I have. Mean teacher. Yeah. It's not that hard, frankly. Uh, <laughs> depend, depending on, on the state a kid is in or whatever, how sensitive they are. You know, I never have meant to where I think he did here, but you know, they got it. They got the scene and, you know, obviously they made up afterwards and everything was fine, but it's just, you know, you can see that genuine fear. It, well, it, they, what about, it, it's a harrowing scene. It's so What good. about the scene where Chris pulls Teddy off of 
the track. That looks super close, too. That looks real, yeah. That looks 100% real. And it just goes to show, you know, this is the kind of person Teddy is. I mean, he's a crazy one. I mean, it's setting up his character one step farther. And, and Chris being, like, the sensible one. But then also it's like, hey, skin it. Let's make, you know, making peace after that whole yeah. thing. Anyway. The wise old soul. One of my favorite yeah. things that he says is when he's talking to Gordy about his talent. That's like, yeah. uh, first of all, like, bull true. <laughs> yeah. Good. I need to start using that. But just the way that he <laughs> describes it, because uh, is this where they're, they're um, he's basically, Chris is telling him that the smart guys are better than the dumb guys, you know, because they're talking about like how they're going to go off and have different classes in school because Gordy's going to be yeah. in all the smart kids classes and the rest of them are going to yeah. be in shop and everything. Making birdhouses. And Gordy doesn't want to do that. You know, he wants to be with the, the cool kids, you know, not the smart ones. Mm-hmm. And he's like, right. But just the way that he describes, like, because Gordy's a writer and he's he writes like short stories and stuff as you know comes up later very hilariously the way he describes it to him is just it's so wise and just poignant and the, yeah. the fact that it came out of like a little kid like you cut you but you believe it from the way that he is and just the way that he plays his character because he says you know it's like god said you know this is what we got for you kid try not to lose it very good advice mm. amazing advice yes the kids absolutely. lose everything if someone's not there to look after them and if your parents are too fucked up to do it then maybe i should ah so sweet yeah so on point like realizing that he has a talent and not letting him lose it and not uh, forgetting about you know, being the cool kids or whatever and that's just that's so mature of his character yeah. they're, they're 12 <laughs> and then i think it's cemented at the very end of the movie with Richard Dreyfus, when his son mm-hmm. says, "My dad gets like that when he writes," and yeah. what I what I can see, you know, and on that smile on his face afterwards is that, yeah, I did become a writer, didn't I? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, that's what that's how I always read it, and I think it's because of that, you know, this encouragement that he got from Chris. And then, of course, Gordy says, "You know, you could enroll in the college courses with me. You know, mm-hmm. you you could." You could get out of this. You can change this. And I know that's that's in a minute. But first, we have the campfire sequence. <laughs> I love the campfire sequence. I mean, the the story that he tells <laughs> around the campfire, the now the thing is <laughs> Davy Hogan. Um, I like the part actually, with the burgers though too. It's kind of cute. Oh yeah, the burgers. <laughs> I was like, fuck you guys, I got it. <laughs> Better turn yours over, man. It's like, no, that's how I like it. You don't like it. <laughs> Burn is yeah. the best. Uh, but the um, the story, I actually knew someone named David Hogan, and apparently before he saw this movie, he was kind of a chunky kid. And after this, he got made fun of. <laughs> so <laughs> so they he he got he got in shape. He got like ripped. Anyway, that is what it is. But this story was. I mean, it grosses me out. I still kind of I food stuff really bothers me you know i really have a weak stomach for like gross food stuff and so the barfing is just so gross to me i know i hate i just hate it and i can hate hearing it i hate seeing it it's a little bit easier to deal with in this movie because it's very very obvious that it's a hose like to the side of the actor's mouth yes it it is but I'm still just kind of like that. Ah. Well, I mean, the part where he talks about it's like, so he imagined he was drinking, he was eating cow plops and rat guts and 
blueberry yeah. sauce. And it was like, uh, uh, that that thought just grosses me out. And the whole thing, we you know, with the castor oil yeah, and the egg and all that. Yeah, downing the castor oil. Like, uh. I mean, th- to me, that's grosser than it is in Rocky. When he, <laughs> right. <laughs> when he drinks, drinks down the dozen <laughs> eggs or five eggs, whatever he does. Uh. But it's just like, ugh. Uh, so... But at the same time, it's really funny. It was like, and the women's auxiliary barfed over the benevolent order, <laughs> order of, of antelopes. antelopes. <laughs> what great! That's just wonderful wordsmithing right there. It is. And and then it's like, it's so Stephen back. King too. Even this story it within is. the story is so Stephen King. Oh, it's absolutely Stephen King. Which I and love it's about again, it. it's again, it's not a horror story, but it's those characters we see, we recognize mm-hmm. those characters yep. as characters he used, and um, this is. Obviously, something he did. I mean, this story is in the body uh-huh. as essentially as it appears in the film. Yep. And 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 what I love about it is after it's over, you know, the complete and total barfarama, <laughs> this great closing line, and the kids are all excited, and then they go, and then what happened? <laughs> Which is so funny because what does Stephen King get criticized about more than anything else? His endings. Yeah, yeah. And so I just thought that was so. Funny. It's like I don't know. He just he just went home and celebrated with a couple of cheeseburgers. Like, I like the ending. The barfing was really good. I have one question though. <laughs> Did he have Did to Lord pay? Did have to pay to get into the contest? <laughs> no, Vern. They just let him in. I love that too because that's one of those. That's like all those fanboy things that you see nowadays. It's like this thing that is really that has nothing to do with anything in the story is really important to me what why did did that happen or not i'm so confused it's like who cares who cares <laughs> i just love that whole thing and then you know they're going talking on into the night about things that matter before you discover girls right <laughs> i'm sorry you were you were going to say something i'm sorry no i was going to say like the scene before that too is just another nice moment where teddy kind of gets his moment of sincerity when they're having like you know smoke after a meal that's that's the best or whatever just don't do that kids smoking is bad but teddy says yeah yeah cherish these moments and they start kind of like they giggle at him a little bit and he's very sincerely says like what what did i say and like that's what i love about the way that they can um play the sincerity too like they kill they will goof on each other like like kids like friends do but then when someone is hurt or they're you know they realize that they're actually trying to be serious like especially chris you know we'll have that moment with with the kids or it's like or they're making fun of Vern, like right at the beginning when he's coming in to tell them about the body. Yeah. And he just, I don't know, just the way that River Phoenix gets that really like serious look on his face. Like, what what are you talking about, man? Like, okay, we're done making fun of you and we're going to listen now. Mm-hmm. They're just, he's so good. And that's what Teddy's moment is in here. And he's like, no, I'm being serious, man. I'm, I'm cherish. I get it. It's another one of those, like, this yeah. is a good time lines. Like I'm cherishing this moment with my friends and this adventure we're having together and this journey we're taking. And I, you know, I don't necessarily think about it in the course of the movie because I, I guess as boys, we kind of, you know, we think about those moments and then, then we just, we don't cherish them till later. You, don't you know, say we it think in about the them moment. now. In the moment, it's like, what are you talking about, you dork? You know, yeah. it, it's that kind of thing. And then it feels that way in the movie. And that and that's one of the things that's so great about it. I mean, it, yes, there's emotion, but it never devolves into sort of a pad saccharine sentimentality. You know what I mean? Um, it's, it's one of the things I love about the movie. I mean, it's nostalgic, but it's not, 
like everything was perfect either. And I, and I like that a lot, uh, really about both movies. Both movies do that. I mean, yeah. it, it pretty well, especially, you know, like I, that's why I think I like the childhood portion of now and then so much more is because it, it does have that, those balances, you know, bet- like this movie does between the comedy and the scary stuff and the and the sad stuff and the real emotional stuff. It- it's good. But I love this conversation of the night. I mean, come on. This is great <laughs> stuff. I-, I-, I quote these lines all the time. If I could only have one food for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life? That's easy. Pez. Pez. Cherry, Cherry flavored Pez. Pez. That's the one I say all the time. Because <laughs> literally my son asked me one time. If you could only have one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I said, that's easy. Pez, cherry flavored Pez. And they're like, what are you talking? This was a long time ago. They were like, he, he must have been, you know, like 10 at most. And it was like, and, and, and they hadn't seen this, obviously. And they still haven't seen it. Actually, I'm planning on watching it with my uh, younger two tonight, in fact. Uh, so... I, I just thought that would be one that they would like. It, it's so funny. And then what, like, what is your goofy? answer? What's your answer now, Brian, to that if question? If I could have one food for the rest of the teri- teriyaki. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> what is mine? Cheeseburgers. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad we know. Uh, but I mean, this stuff like what's goofy is so funny. It's like, that. geez, that is weird. What the hell is Goofy? Well, I mean, that's that's a great way to end it. It's like, you know, Wagon Train's a really cool show. I mean, even if you don't know what Wagon Train is, this is funny. It's like, but you notice they never get anywhere? They just keep Wagon Train. They training. just keep Wagon Train. I mean, it's like, I knew the $64,000 question had to be fixed. There's no, no way, way anyone could know, know that much about opera. About opera. Yeah. It's great. And the thing is, I didn't know what that meant until I saw a quiz show, you know, 15, you know, 10 years later or so. So, I mean, yeah, there's so much funny stuff going on in this mm. um that's one of my favorite things then we we're kind of back to some we already talked about they were part where they're keeping watch and the different personalities of the guys gordy's come through. Dream. but but gordy's dream is frightening mm. you know and just that it should have been you gordy Ugh. while they're at the well, at the funeral which is his dream it no no that sounded wrong, but it's, it's, he's, he's <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I gotcha. <laughs> which he's hearing that coming from his parents, like in, in his dream, but you know that that's how he really feels sometimes when he's around them. And you also know that maybe his parents have actually possibly even thought that even for a second, you know, yeah, the way that they act with him, that it, there is some truth to it. Mm-hmm. Which would also be in line with Stephen King. You know, his his lines, I mean, The Shining mm-hmm. is all about this. And then in Christine, it's like, have you ever thought that one of the things about being a parent is trying to kill your kids? Yeah. I mean, that's this is something Stephen King has definitely pondered <laughs> in his own life <laughs> at some point. Um, so anyway. And Gordy is talking about how as they go further and further about how he's becoming more and more obsessed with seeing Ray Brower's body. Yeah. It's got to have something to do with his brother and actually... It does. I'm not smart enough to think of anything right now. And actually, like, facing death or seeing death or something? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's an intangible in some respects, you know? It's uh, it's something that you definitely... I When I watch this movie, I definitely feel it. You know, I get the need, but I can't articulate it entirely. But, I mean, that's what the story's for. I mean, the story is to articulate that, not necessarily us that have to, which is one of the great things about it. I mean, Chris's story about the milk money and all is like, <laughs> yeah, I stole it. I know. 
Everyone knows I did. You know I did. But maybe I tried to give it back. And I think that is an interesting element. Uh, This is actually an aspect taken from King's life, where because if the milk money had disappeared on his watch, people would have said, oh, someone else must have done it because he was a good kid. Well, some other kid who had the bad reputation, mm-hmm. it happened on his watch. Well, you know, he got suspended. Well, even the way Chris tells the story as if it was a hypothetical, you know, what if I tried yeah. to give it back? Mm-hmm. And the new teacher and what if she showed uh, up with a new skirt, you know, the next yeah. week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. is That's the conflict. It's brown and had dots on it. <laughs> Why would the kids even notice what their teacher was wearing and whether or not it was new? I don't know. Well. But that's just part of the conflict um, that you can see within Chris's character that mm-hmm. his family has this reputation in town. Yeah. His brother is a fucking asshole. Uh, <laughs> eyeball, yeah. I hate eyeball so much. Um, Eyeball's an asshole, but Ace is a psychopath. Yeah, you know, it's like well, all eyeball the members lets the of that psychopath game. almost burn him with a fucking cigarette, uh, like right at the beginning. I know, <laughs> but, I it's know just, but it's just yeah. Sorry, just to finish that, it's just um, it's Chris kind of knowing that he has to play the role in a way because just that's mm-hmm. what it, people expect of him, and he doesn't know what else to do, and he, they're never going to think any different no matter what he does. Right. And him just like desperately wanting to get out of that cycle, and it's just it's so sad to watch that kid go through that. The way he delivers all that, where he says, "I just want to go somewhere where nobody yeah. knows me," is uh, he tapped into. Whatever he tapped into to get that, uh, he really went there. And, and then crying it's... and just like feeling the emotion of a kid, yeah, realizing that adults can suck sometimes and like the betrayal mm-hmm. of a child by an adult. It's just, ah. I have a question for you after this. Gordy gets up early, he's riding, he's sitting on the tracks, and he sees the deer. Mm-hmm. What does that scene mean to you? Anything? I mean, I've definitely. I've had moments like that and I, I understood it. I remember just kind of right away when, cause he talks about, you know, it was on the tip of my tongue to tell them about the deer, but you know, it's something I, I haven't told anyone. He has, he hadn't said anything about it, you know, his entire life. And I get that. Like, that's just kind of, um, it's a special connection with nature and with the mm. world in a way. Yeah. You feel like you're kind of touching something special and, to talk about it would to take that away. Tarnish it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, it's I, another I, one of those things where like, I, I absolutely understand that moment and why he doesn't say anything, yeah. but I can't really articulate why. <laughs> I think that. No, that's, it, that's really good though. I mean, I, I think uh, for, for me, there's like a, even a, a spiritual dimension to it. Sure. You know, it's sort of like for, for a, a moment, you glimpse the face of God as it were sort of that something transcendent, that you can't describe if you try. Sure. I mean, even putting it on film, somehow you can't... Uh, I think because... There, I'm, one of the things I'm happy about is in that moment is that there's no dialogue. There's nothing said. It's just the way they frame the deer, the way they frame Will Wheaton's face are like the same. And there's like this connection to them. And, and you know, Will Wheaton had these... When he was a kid, they had very large eyes. And they're like that deep brown, just like the deer's. I mean, his eyes kind of look like the deer's eyes. And it's just sort of, there's this the indescribable connection that happens there. But even, you know, film can't capture uh, even an underlying dimension that might have happened in that moment between Will Wheaton and the deer, however orchestrated it might have been. I mean, what what is that? You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very... 
It's a really interesting moment and one that when I was a kid, I was kind of like, I don't really get this. Really? I think it was something that I understood later. It didn't emotionally touch me the way it probably was supposed to uh, <laughs> until much later. You know, sure. Having, well, I mean, we, we were like outdoorsy kids and stuff, like not sure. super much, but I remember having just those like um, moments with, with nature was always kind of special. In a way, too. Yeah. So I, I definitely got it. Like, especially with a deer, with an animal that you're not generally ever going to get that close to. That's why yeah. that moment is special. Because usually yeah, they're, th- they would skitter away, like, you know, as soon as possible. But they, it has a moment where it's, you know, stops and actually it's not looks. Afraid. It's, it's not afraid. Yeah. It looks directly yeah. at him. Yeah. And doesn't even, like, bound away, but just kind of goes away a little bit slowly. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful moment. I remember this time, I, w- I don't even remember what the outing was, but I ended up on this thing with some group in high school, and we did this god-awful drive up into somewhere in the mountains. I mean, it was somewhere off Mount Rainier, really, really remote. And I remember laying down in the middle of the road, okay, and which was fine. It was perfectly safe. There was no mm-hmm. cars going to come up there. It was dirt road as it was. And just looking up in sort of like this clearing of trees and seeing stars like I'd never seen them before. Because, I mean, zero light pollution. Sure. I mean, because, I mean, you're in the absolute, if talking about the middle of, this is as middle of nowhere as you can get and, you know, still have a place to go to the bathroom that's not, um, you know, a hole in the ground. Um, it, it was just, well, it was a hole in the ground. It was just, you know, had a. <laughs> had a house over it um but you know what i mean it, um you're writing this nice story I, 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 am, I am but i mean literally i mean you, you when you get that far away from any form of light and things like that like unnatural light and you can see the start i mean you will see you know uh meteorites you'll see all kinds of things mm-hmm. all the time i mean it's it's not cool. that uncommon but now i mean even in where I live in the suburbs, I, you can't you can't see that. I mean, there's just too much light to be able to see stars like that. But if it, out there, it was just like there was it was absolutely clear. And you know, living in a cloudy area of the country, it was relatively uh, unusual anyway. But that was really one of those kinds of moments. Mm-hmm. There seems to be just always an appreciation with something that's totally natural as a removal from our normal lives which is just just filled with man-made things everywhere mm-hmm. you know so yeah looking up at the night sky or just being alone in the woods and hearing nothing but the sound of the woods i've always loved that mm-hmm. there's like a it's like a weird freedom and you know cleansing of the mind in a way yeah. so that's also what that moment could could be about you know and i'm kind of lucky where i live i mean i'm not that far from mountains we're about an hour drive from mount rainier and and, you know, the park can get busy sometimes, like the national park can get busy sometimes, but you can find places. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time I was camping and the campsite was not too far away. I just kind of went off on my own. And the Carbon River is, a, it's a really, it's a lot of, there are a lot of like stones and boulders in it. A lot of places that you can step without getting wet, things like that. And I stepped out literally into the middle of the river and sat down and there was a view of the summit from where I was sitting you know, trees mm-hmm. on every side and things like that. So 
I guess I've always been sort of like a solitude kind of guy. Yeah, I've okay. got mom. I've had I've had moments at Cannon Beach like that too, where there was a perfect sunset. I wanted to grab a picture of it. I ran out of film back when there were film cameras, and after I ran out of film and actually watched the thing, that's when the colors really came out. But yeah. there's no way a, ca- a camera could have captured that moment. Those are the kinds of things that I think are, I guess, being I articulated in like this that. scene. Yeah. yeah. Something I never told anybody that I used to do um, when I was in college, on my college campus, there was like a giant, it was man-made, but there was like a giant man-made lake, like off to the one side of the campus. It was near my sorority mm. house and it had just like one dock um, there and like sometimes like super late at night if I was awake and I can go to sleep or whatever I would just go and I would sit at the edge of the dock just and the quiet and it was just with my thoughts and that was like one of my favorite mm-hmm. things to do yeah yeah definitely alone relaxing with your mm-hmm. th- I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> when they start on the road again um the neck or the tracks I should say there's a interesting little moment where Vern says I think we should stick to the tracks Let's just, you know, keep going. It's like, but we'll save a lot of time if we cut through the woods. Um, so Vern is like, I, I, I'm going to stick with the the <laughs> rules here. Yeah. Let's not go off the beaten path, right? This is this is Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> <laughs> sure. In a, in a way, you know, because who knows what's out in, I mean, those woods don't actually look that thick. They don't look that bad to me. But <laughs> when, I, when I see them in the movie, I'm like... <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, but of course, this brings us to the moment that when I was a kid, everyone talked about this part <laughs> where they go into the lake, the the swamp, uh-huh. and they fall in. And of course, they're wrestling around. I love this part. It says, hey, Teddy, act your age. And he goes, this is my age. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love that part. I'm in the prime of my youth. I'll never be young again. Yep. I mean, that's a profound moment. It is. I mean, it's sort of Very it's sort true. of silly, but it's sort of silly in its moment, but it's in the film, but it's really deep mm-hmm. and so true. You won't have that moment again. When are you going to be able to do that kind of thing again? Um, I mean, I that's why I think things like in uh, in Indian Summer that mm-hmm. we talked about, you know, 100 years ago now are... <laughs> <laughs> are so great because, you know, this adult sort of recapturing some of these moments too yeah. is, is sort of wonderful, but that you realize that they can only really do them as kids. You're trying to recapture it as an adult, but it's just not the same. The freedom and the, the playfulness is a little bit different yes. when you're an adult. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I like that moment too. <laughs> but then the then reality right. check, <laughs> the reality check of those leeches on them. And then obviously Gordy, oh, jeez. Jesus Christ, Chris! <laughs> of that moment, I mean, everyone, every every boy I ever saw this movie with at that part was like, "Oh, <laughs> poor kid." Yeah. After that, you know, they're when they're arguing over whether they should go back or whether they should keep going, and then Teddy starts calling Vern a pussy and all these things, and Vern just tackles him and starts hitting him. I, I love actually that. love, I that, love that, part. that part. I mean, even though he's hitting him, you know, with the, like the sides of his fists and stuff, and he's really awkward and stupid. He's looking, letting but, some stuff out, though. Vern is, yeah, because he because Teddy, you know, the two for flinching, all that mm-hmm. stuff that he always does on him. It's like I've had it, man. Two for flinching, you like that? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I I love how you know, like I said, all these kids just given their moments is mm-hmm. so good. And then, and well, even um, just Will Wheaton standing there, like because they're talking about him, because they're like he, you know, he yeah. fainted and everything, and like he's fine. And they're, I love a they're not from his balls, <laughs> and they're not making fun of him. You know, they're not. No. They're not making light of it. They're like realizing, like, oh, that's that's pretty intense for him, you know, to go through. But I don't know, like his face, and then when he tells him to shut up, you know, and gets yeah, it's like we're not going back. Yeah, and you know, this is obviously. I mean, this has all been intercut, of course, with yeah. Some people we haven't talked about at all, hardly. Well, I think essentially every scene of Ace and the gang establishes that Ace is a psychopath. I mean, the part where he's playing chicken with the other car. And he, and essentially with the truck coming at him too, and doesn't, I mean, they were going to crash. Yeah. They're absolutely going to crash. And he's like, I won. Yeah. It, Smile on his face. And I won. Yeah. <laughs> I love the mailbox baseball <laughs> yeah. part. Shouldn't have gone for a wooden one. <laughs> Foul ball, you cock knocker. You know. I like to finish this game before I start collecting social security. Yeah. But just another thing about this movie is like, like I already mentioned, there his uh, Chris's first encounter, Chris and Gordy's first mm-hmm. encounter with Ace and Eyeball, is that that's something that you kind of see, uh, you kind of deal with bullying a lot in like some of these uh, children's movies. But this is this is like super serious bullying. Like I never had to deal yeah. with anything like this. Like this, no, but. No. This is intense. This is shit that like no kid should ever have to go through. Like he's like really hurting him and he's yeah. really serious about wanting to hurt them like throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Cause yeah, he's a psychopath basically, but he, pl- oh, Kiefer Sutherland plays it so good. His peroxide hair. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland. I, I remember him as, as much as any of the other guys being, this is sort of like an announcement of Kiefer Sutherland for this guy. as a force to yeah. be reckoned Watch with. For him. Yeah. I mean, Yes, I mean, I mean, son of a famous actor in his own right, but it w- it didn't matter. I mean, this was I didn't know who Donald Sutherland was when I saw Kiefer in this movie. Mm-hmm. It was just like his presence on screen was immediately, and that he would the next major role he would play would be in The Lost Boys as the lead vampire mm-hmm. of of a gang of vampires. Right. You know, it's just <laughs> like I mean, it's it's essentially this. It's a very similar character to this, sure. <laughs> but it's so good. He's so. And he's scary. He is genuinely a threat. He's like a natural bad leader. It's the same way that Chris is the natural leader of the other. Yeah, um, there are there's like, sort of mirror images. Yeah. Uh, Ace is uh, the other. He doesn't lord over the guys too much, um, except for when they really need to you know, be brought Either back. If you had $2,000, uh, I'd kill you both. Yeah. Uh, he lets... I mean, that's... Uh, and the way he says that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Again, he's a psychopath. He's being serious. Yeah. He lets the guys kind of be who they are and everything, but when he gets serious is when the facade of the other guys comes down. Especially Eyeball, you know, in the, the final confrontation you know yeah i mean none of them they're they're, they're all bullies. playing it they're all playing it being bad they're yeah ace they're, they're followers bad. though yeah Fo- yeah ace is is genuinely evil and the rest are just jerks followers you know that kind of thing you know what i notice is that um i think it's billy billy is um from burns brother yeah but he's in summer school <laughs> i was like i know that kid looked familiar oh, shit he is he's dave yeah 
You're right. Oh my god, I never drew that. I knew he looked that, like I was like uh, that Billy. I know. I know that right. face and that voice. Where do I know that from? Oh, I was like, man, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I summer school was almost as you know seminal of a movie for me as this was. I mean, my first clip I ever saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> was from yeah. summer school. Right. I mean, that was the moment where I was like, oh man, I gotta see that. <laughs> you know, I was scared too, but I was like, I got to see that. Um, anyway, I like good the call. I never <laughs> yeah, right? realized that. Wow. I like the juxtaposition throughout the movie too, of like what the younger boys are, are talking about versus mm-hmm. what the older boys talk about. Like one of my favorite yeah. lines uh, from the voiceover um, is when he says, uh, was it uh, insulting one's mother was always held in high regard. <laughs> regard. <laughs> Because that's little kids like preferably disgusting ways to to degrade one's mother. Yeah, or when Gordy has this thing about you know, and then your mother goes around and she licks it up when they do that. They're trying to be gross, but Uh, then like Ace and the the guys are talking about like feeling girls' tits. Like I've been going at her, like and all she let me do is feel her tits. She's a Catholic. If you want (laughs) to get laid, you got to find yourself a Protestant. (laughs) Jews good. What's but what's funny is you know the boys are talking about have you have you been watching the Mickey Mouse Club lately and have you noticed that Annette's tits are getting big? It's like yeah, Annette's tits are great, you know. And then they have they're no idea what they're of, saying too. Yeah, and then and then you know the the other gang is uh, is like you know they're actually yeah. at that age where <laughs> there's a little bit more experience though not that much either. I think there's a lot of locker room talk happening in those sequences yeah. too. A lot of lying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like it's like will you stop moving and make me fuck up the snake part. <laughs> stuff in there. There's so much. Uh, like I said, just about every line of this movie when it comes by, I'm like, oh yeah, I know that I can I could practically you know recite it along with the movie. But when okay, so this is the scene where they find the body, and it's Vern who finds it, which is really interesting. And you know, they 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 split up, and you know Vern is. Oh, and it doesn't take that long. It's like, I see him. I said, you know, there he is. And, you know, the kid wasn't sleeping. You know, the kid was dead. The train knocked him out of his kids. Kids. I got chills, you know, thinking about that, you know, it knocked him out of his kids just like it knocked the life out of his body. And, you know, you notice all their shoes are the same kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, Converse and kids. And, you know, there's so much about this dead kid that is like them. Yep. You know, even the first line, it says, we all had followed the Ray Brower story because he was a kid our age. Right from the beginning, we hear that. And the fact that um, when the kid went missing, uh, they said that he went out to pick blueberries, which is just like such an innocent, innocent thing, thing to be doing, you yeah. know, and to have yeah. this happen. Like, that's what they're they're realizing when they finally see him. And I think it's important that you actually see him you know eyes open and you oh, s- gosh, that you yeah. see what they see and kind of yeah. come to the realization because they're thinking in this whole time that they're going to be famous you know we're going to be on tv because we found yeah. the dead kid that everyone's been looking for and they're not even really thinking about what that means they're not they're thinking not of the humanity of this person yeah, yeah. and the yeah. confrontation of death that they're experiencing by right? it's, it's a kid their age the fact that it could have been any of them. yeah that it almost was a couple yeah. times in this movie that's right but they realize it more and more the closer they get. Uh-huh. And the the whole moment after that where he says, why do you have to die? And then he goes, well, <laughs> why? He, he's like talking to the body first. Why do you have to die? Yeah. Then he says, why did Denny have to die? Why? It should have been me. 
It should have been me. It should have been me. It should have been me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I don't know what Will Wheaton tapped into to get right. that performance, but good God, it's so authentic and, and powerful and sad. And, and it's like my dad hates that me. That whole no thing, good. the way he does that. Uh, he doesn't hate you. He just doesn't know you. I know. <laughs> I know. That's, it's, this that's actually again, kind of reminded me. a very profound thing uh, yeah. for him to observe. There's this book I read a couple years ago called Wild at Heart. It's about men and who they are kind of deep down on some level. And one of the things the author talks about is the wound, that men all have a wound and it is almost always inflicted by the father. That was like, really? <laughs> that's That's heavy to think about. You know, the the thing that makes us feel on some level, even if we don't think about it, even if we never have any sort of animosity toward our parents or anything like that, just this idea that often unintentionally, and then this is for me as a parent too, we have said or done something that causes some sort of feeling of inadequacy or something in our own children is a tough thing. But I, the more I sort of ponder some of that stuff, the more I think it's probably true. And it's a pain that is very hard. And, you know, it's women, of course, have an equivalent of that as well. It's just that I think this book was specifically about Mm. men. And so this scene, I really made me think about that. The wound inflicted by Gordy's father is so apparent, I mean, and and so obvious, but I I think there are more subtle ones that, you know, everyone can probably relate to here. You know, it's not so much the, it should have been you, I'm no good, and (laughs) that kind of feeling, that's not it. But, I mean, those feelings of not being able to live up to or disappointing your parents or family or whatever. I think those kinds of things run deep and run fairly universally. Yeah. I'm trying not to get in my feelings right now. I know. I know. I know. You can definitely see it in that scene where even if, you know, he eventually makes up with his father and, you know, maybe they have a good relationship that, yeah, that wound probably is not going to heal. It's going to come back in mm-hmm. other ways throughout his life, you know, because yeah. it com- it's coming yeah. at such a formative time in his life. It is. It is. And it, for every most, and the, one of the things the book argues is that it always happens in a formative time. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you, you're, you're probably going to be between 10 and 13 when it happens. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, when Ace and Eyeball show up, this is interesting too. I think this is, um, you came in a car. That's not fair. I, I know. Think that's, I love that. <laughs> that is one of my favorite lines. It's like, you know, and it just sort of underscores the significance of the journey. Yes. You essentially cheated because you didn't go through the journey. Mm. You didn't face you know, you didn't go through the hero's journey. It's not the destination, you know, you know it's how you how you yeah. got there, what you went through to get yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, because these are the, you know, classic mythic kinds of elements being brought yeah. in again. And I think, I, I know the Gordy pulling out the gun, shooting in the air, suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. That's sort of like the, you know, that's the standing up to the bullies thing. But I actually think Chris's is more powerful because Chris has a knife pulled on him. says, you're going to have to kill me, Ace. You're not taking him. He is actually willing to die. He is certain that he's going to die to stand up for his principles. Yeah. And, and again, you know, you, you're going to have to kill me, Ace. You can hear his voice breaking up. He 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 is certain that that. And I think Kiefer Sutherland actually scared them. 
<laughs> is what what some of them have said outside of this is that Kiefer Sutherland really freaked He's them out. He's definitely got a, a lot of intensity to him. Yes. So I and you could that. see that, especially in his early roles. He's not I mean, just that so much here, even though he's like he's still scary, but he can go very mm-hmm. intense. Especially just his voice, I think, is very yeah. intense. Such a great voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, it's all, and his, it's not too dissimilar from Donald Sutherland's. Very deep. But I mean, it, it has Ugh. it has a little bit of it has a little bit more edge to it, mm-hmm. though. It's frightening. But gosh, I I just was really moved by that scene where Chris is, you know, before the gun goes off. It was just like I was that really hit me hard on this viewing. I just kind of like the the change uh, in Ace too and he realizes he's brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> right. That's so good. <laughs> and you know that whole idea is like, you know, uh, we were going to be heroes, you know, that Teddy and Teddy and 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 Vern, you know, run away. Yeah. <laughs> You know, which, you know, is perfectly in line with their characters, perfectly, honestly, in line with probably what most people would react, (laughs) you know, Uh, come on. And it's like, let's just escape from our trouble. It's in line with their characters and, you know, what we've Mm -hmm. established about Vern and Teddy versus Chris and Gordy. Well, and Chris is willing to sacrifice himself for his principles and Gordy is finds within himself the power to stand up to them. And those are the, to really face the problem. Stand up to his father, stand up to his fears, his fears, his own emotions about himself. Stand up to the death of his own brother Mm -hmm. in a way, I think too, because it's not just about taking uh, down a bully like at all. No, because Ace says something about his brother. Ace, Ace even says something like, you know, you, um, it's like you be sensible like your brother. Yeah. And in in the story, don't like doesn't isn't there some kind of thing afterwards where it's like they got their asses kicked afterwards by <laughs> by Ace and his game? Oh, I don't I don't remember. I think so. Um, <laughs> but in the in book, the movie, Chris is the one who kind of Chris always. is the one who who takes who does the gun who stands up to Ace with the gun. I just remember being book. kind of disappointed by the story because in the movie, you're even though Ace says something yeah. to the effect of like we're gonna get you later for this, like you're not always gonna have that gun, and then but the movie kind of leads you to believe that maybe. Yeah, everything is fine afterwards but then i remember i could be getting that totally wrong but i seem to remember something uh, about the end where they did actually ace and the gang actually did get the kids back <laughs> for they, this <laughs> which you know is probably a little bit on the real more realistic but, sure. um but I, I like that you know that's how the story is being told i yeah. don't think either Sorry. in this film at least no i mean you know but uh, no no i'm glad you brought it up i just think this film is trying to tell a different story because uh, you know like king says books and movies are apples and oranges yeah. they taste very different but they're both delicious it's very true <laughs> i love that and i love i love king's attitude toward this one in particular cuz this is clearly a personal thing mm-hmm. most of his movies most of the movies that are made from his books, he doesn't seem to care. You know, do what you want. I don't, whatever. The ones that he does, you can tell. You can tell. That's why he hates The Shining so much. Because The Shining was a deeply personal story. I don't think he even knew how personal The Shining was when he wrote it. From everything I've I've read about yeah. that time. But then there's like Dreamcatcher, which by most accounts is just sort of like a travesty of the oh, novel. Stop. I like Dreamcatcher. Uh, uh, well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. 
I'm just saying. But then he's like, hey, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with children of the corn. I'm fine with, you know, most of these things. But for him to be so positive about a, such a personal story, I think is really something. I think Pet Cemetery is another one, too. Yeah, I agree. Well, he also wrote the screenplay. He wrote for, the screenplay, and he, one, was, which, he was a lot more involved with yeah. that one than he is a lot of the movies adaptations. But for this one, I think, um, for me, the lines that have always stuck with me, um, after they, the return home is insignificant. I mean, they come home and they don't talk on the way back is what they say. Mm-hmm. They say they walk back all night. They just And they came back just before five in the morning on Labor Day. And the the way this ends where he says, you know, Chris, the, the way they separate well, one well, by first one he has is significant. A, he has a line of like, this is part of their coming of age. They're growing up when he says that they've come back and the town looks smaller. Smaller. That's, they've definitely Which changed. again takes us kind of back to Indian summer, you know, where <laughs> everything where looks so small. Saying, yeah. They're so small. Yeah. <laughs> It's because you got bigger. And they have. Mm -hmm. I mean, not physically, but emotionally. They've deepened significantly. And you almost forget that this is just a two-day journey. (laughs) (laughs) How Vern takes off and he picks up the penny. (laughs) I found a penny. You know, it's just, that's sort of like, it makes sense that he would go first. Then Teddy peeling off, you know, I'm going to go home before my (laughs) get called as, you know, Put on the 10 most wanted list yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but then Chris and Gordy continuing to walk together. I mean, that's obviously been their life. And it says, but the line that comes in, you know, we saw less and less of Teddy until they just became two more faces in the hallway, uh, which is really I hate that, sad. But, but it's so true. But the line, I think, and I think this is directly from King. I, I, I can't be positive, but I think one of the best lines he ever wrote is friends come in and out of your life like busboys in a restaurant is uh <laughs> I, I you know you I think know. back on friendship i mean how many friends do i still have from when i was 12 some i see some of them on facebook i know who some of them are but like my best friend in high school i haven't communicated with him in 20 years i know there's like a couple that i still stay in contact with and it's what i like about those kinds of friendships like i think the kind that the boys form here those really special ones are like you can be apart for a really long time but when you do talk it's like there was never any time that passed you know so those are the ones that i I like to i like to keep around but it has happened way way too much even in recent years that there have been people that i've gotten really close to even if some of them are just online which unfortunately is kind of how you have to make friends now and they're already gone it feels like you know and i Mm -hmm. hate that so much It's some, especially as you're getting older and, you know, you have less and less people that really mean something to you. It's hard. So you can't ever leave, Brian. We've already established this. We're stuck with each other. <laughs> well, I've established that I'm going to live to 90. <laughs> okay. So you've got, you, you're stuck with me for another 45 years. Sweet. Okay? <laughs> Which is my entire life up to this point. So that's a long time. I'm not too yeah. far behind you. You always talk like you're know, a million you're years, years older, but you're not. <laughs> I'm a million years old. <laughs> not too far behind you. It's true. But yeah, I know. I, yeah. I had the same thing with that line because I was like, I feel that a little bit too deeply right now. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things about this movie is that I, I think it really, I mean, even though you're a few years, I mean, I did obviously did not, I'm not the same age as 
I'm closer to, I'm, to the actors. I'm they're a few years older than me. Um, the three remaining actors are a few years older than me, but not many. But obviously, the time and place it takes place in is far removed. This is my parents. Yeah, you know, grew up in that time. You know, I, I can't help but think this movie. You know, a couple years later, we had the Wonder Years on television. Right. <laughs> and then you look later. You know, some like the Goldbergs who's in the '80s instead. You know, but even in Stephen King's own work, I mean, this is the non-scary version of it uh, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, there, there are elements of that here but i love how it cuts back and he doesn't say it out loud he just types it on the screen and you see uh, i never had any friends later on like the ones i had when i was 12 jesus does anyone which is also like exactly from the story isn't it yeah i think so it's not it's not the way the story ends precisely because i was just reading the end of the story and it doesn't say that like at all but uh it might be you know a little bit before that so, I mean, this is um, Stephen King, you know, he, he, that guy's going places, but um, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I th- but I think the way that Reiner and the writers adapt, uh, adapted this is one of the most perfect adaptations I've ever seen. And actually talking about it more now, um, I didn't expect to talk about it this long frankly, just kind of makes me think this might still be the best adaptation of King ever. Um, And and they're really good. I think Misery is up there too. Uh, I think Shawshank is, uh, for for its flaws, one of the greats. Um, Carrie and uh, many others we've mentioned. But anyway. Another one of my favorite line readings is here at the end too by River Phoenix. Not if I see you first. Why? Why does that make me yeah. want to cry? <laughs> I don't know. I know. <laughs> well, the way they have him disappear. Yes. While he's describing his his death mm-hmm. is, like I said, it just has that added dimension because of the situation of what the tragedy of River Phoenix's life, yeah. you know? And the fact that this character that we've loved and grew up to be still a good man, like he says, always the peacemaker. That's how he died in the story. And that's how he died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that's a good movie. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's like i'm gonna try try not try to collect myself and, and and not break down in tears because well you know what that would be uh, <laughs> would that be pussy is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah um, that, i've just that's just that's just the line from the movie that's the line from the movie okay um how long did we talk about that one almost two Good hours God. So. <laughs> whoops <laughs> Yeah, that was not the intention. See? Maybe it was good that we did that one first. <laughs> Maybe it was good we did that one first. Because the next one um, is still got some serious moments to it, but it's a little bit more light and breezy and fun. And it is. And not as intense. I think it's not. Um, but I think there are some things about it. I mean, okay, I'll. this is my first time watching it. And I have to say, I... I really like the young cast. I think they're terrific. I think generally speaking, I mean, there are some things about the story. I mean, they're maybe a little, it's like, I've seen this before, but that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I've seen a lot of things. Before. Some of it you've seen in Stand By Me. <laughs> some of it you've seen in Stand By Me. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't buy the grown up part. I, I got to admit, I, and as much as I like those actors, I just... I don't know. It, it, it <laughs> didn't seem to didn't seem to have much, um, you know, sort of weight to me. It's like, 
Because because it starts out with Demi Moore being like so nervous to go and see these friends again, like there's this tragedy, like one of them's dying or something like that, and it's like no, Rita Wilson is in a stable marriage and she's having a baby. I, I mean. Well- She's going back just, to her I, childhood home where she had, you know, the enough. trauma of her parents, you know, this divorcing. Yeah. Where things kind of started to go south for her. Or she had problems, you know, in relationships later on. Now she yeah. talks about it at the end. I, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, obviously, like, this definitely was not my first time seeing this movie. So this came out no. in 95. I was 10 then, so I probably saw it a couple of years later, which would put me at the exact age, pretty much, as the characters in this movie. So, and right. it's another one yeah. that just kind of always feels like it was always there in my life. Like, I, I've watched this so many many times i pretty much didn't even really have to rewatch this i could just kind of play it in my head <laughs> again because i've seen it so much right. and it was always kind of more special because it was a movie that maybe wasn't as talked about as much as like a stand by me or the sandlot you know with those mm-hmm. ones that like everybody right. knew about and like mm-hmm. It seemed like the the girls had their own like little secret movie that we bonded over, which was now and then. (laughs) And it's kind of the same thing in this movie, too. I mean, this is a great little group of actors um, who grew up to be amazing actors. Christina Ricci and um, Gabby Hoffman. Gabby Hoffman was around a lot when she was this age, and then she kind of fell off. I'm not really sure what happened with her. Thora Birch. And then the only other one. Thora Birch did a handful of movies that were really good. Uh Um, I think she chose. I think Ghost World. And, yeah. Yeah. American Beauty was sort of like the big thing that she was in that I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghost World, I think, is sort of like the best movie. I, I saw that only, I don't know, a couple of years ago. I was like, uh, damn. <laughs> I like Ghost World. Good stuff. Sure. The only yeah. one I'm not as familiar with is who plays uh, young Chrissy is um, Ashley Aston Moore. Sure. But still, it's kind of the same dynamic as in stand by me you know they're all Mm -hmm. they're all friends and then but they all have like their different personalities and and quirks about them and i would say kind of like gordy in a way i think the one that i was i felt more like was samantha yeah and samantha is definitely the gordy character sure she's the writer she's the she's uh, the more introspective creative (laughs) one sure yeah (laughs) roberta's the chris and you know (laughs) with Maybe she's got a little Teddy in her too, but um, she's the tomboy. She's like got something yeah, to prove, yeah. kind of thing. Teeny kind of feels more like the Chris. Like she's kind of the the, the glue mm. between all of them, and they have sure. like little conflicts. Yeah. And then yeah. yeah, okay, they both have the one fat kid. Which in both of them, neither one of them is that fat. I know. <laughs> it's so I know. I was, I actually found it kind of offensive that they were calling her fat I know. because I mean she is not fat. Vern, I mean, I went in for 1960. He was a fat kid. Okay, that, I mean that that's that was not common like that. I mean that's about where I was when I was his age too. Well, this and was 1970. I was, cons- I was bigger. Not too much later. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is maybe the one thing that this one doesn't have that Stand by Me has, where their girls are always portrayed as being just like a little bit catty. Like they have the boys have the thing mm-hmm. where like oh we'll make fun of you, but you know. We really care about you and like we'll we'll bring you back up after we push you down. These girls, let's this is where I have a little bit of a problem because they do talk about her like behind her back. Yeah. Which I don't like. It's true. No, sure. it's not great. I don't enjoy that. But the rest of yeah. them, uh maybe I felt more like the Roberta too, because I was kind of like her too mm-hmm. in terms of being like a little bit more of a tomboy out outdoorsy, not really into super girly things, playing sports. Yeah. I like the girls can't play softball thing when it's like girls are the only ones that played softball. <laughs> I played softball, I know. 
What are you talking about? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. It's like there are literally girls softball leagues. <laughs> you know, I like, uh, I think uh, Christina Ricci, you know, was already showing yes. how terrific of an actress she is. Uh, and she was uh, sort of transitioning from Adam's family, sort of young kid stuff into older stuff. Casper. Uh, by this point, right? Mm-hmm. Casper, Casper. Yeah. I did. I do too, actually. Um, Devin Sawa again. <laughs> cute, cute, cute little Devin Sawa at the end there. Yeah, and here too. Um, oh, is he? I didn't draw. Yeah, I didn't. He's really Scott. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, one of the things I didn't expect was because people have so often called this movie the the girl stand by me. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect them to spend so much time apart. I expected it to be much more of the times like you know hey we're solving this mystery together kind of thing uh, we're going to see this thing i thought it was going to be more of that kind of stuff like like stand by me is i mean it is one journey where they're always right. together they're always doing and that's not the case here at all there are different moments of solitude and different groups different pairings exactly. uh, that that follow through it's more episodic uh, it actually made me think more of something like a christmas story mm-hmm. or something like that uh, where it's got you know, episodes of life, episodes from the summer that yeah. sort of make this whole. So I don't know that I would call this the Stand By Me, you know, the female version of Stand By Me. It's something different it's in a my mind. different kind of journey that they go yeah. on. I mean, it's kind of like she says at the end is like, you know, what that summer brought us was independence from each other. I mean, that's yeah. their coming of age. That is clearly what happened. Yeah, their coming of age is a little bit differently where they they learn how to be themselves. And what I kind of like about, you know, what's about these both, both of these coming of age movies that we've talked about. It's not so much the typical story of like, it's always about the sexual awakening, the sexual coming of age. I love Mm -hmm. one thing I never thought of before about this movie too, is that I kind of like that, even though they're at the right age, that their coming of age is not about like getting their period or anything like that, because it's, it's not right. always about that. It's not always like for me, it was that wasn't even a big deal. I got my period when I was 10. And I was just like, Oh, man, that sucks. But I like the this is a, a different side of like what girls talk about and what they go through. That's not really shown a whole lot. I keep wanting to like juxtapose it to what we saw in Stand By Me just because they are so similar. There are similar like scenes even like sure. they go swimming, sure. you know, and there's a similar mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like serious incident that happens when they go swimming. Right. But it yeah. just also kind of shows the difference and that um, I kind of like, like, I, like well, the boys are always talking about, you know, like how big their tits are and, you know, and like wanting to like how what can we like physically do, you know, like this, that's what men are all about like action and stuff but the girls in here they're always talking about themselves and like being more curious about how things work you know <laughs> sure and i just kind of like that uh that difference in in the way that just the different mm-hmm. ways that the sexes think differently in the way that when sure. they're going through that formative stage and i had never really thought about yeah. that before i watched this again and i think this one even more so now again um just for all of the actors, not just the child actors, but like all the little cameos by <laughs> some well-known faces. It's pretty cool. Right. It's still really cool to see. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was surprised because like I didn't I didn't look to see who was, you know, gonna show up in the movie. I didn't I didn't do that before I looked, but then before I watched it, but then to see, oh, there's uh <laughs> Cloris Leachman. Cloris and Leachman. then there's <laughs> 
and then there's Janine Garofalo, and there's <laughs> Hank Azaria, and there's Bonnie Hunt, and then one of the biggest ones that threw me was uh, when Brendan Fraser showed because up. Because he's like, even on, he's uncredited. So yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the others I saw in the credits, so I was like, oh okay. But then Brendan Fraser, I mean, this was when he was, I mean, he hadn't done the Mummy yet, but he was he was getting there. He was getting well known. I mean, it's school ties and different things like that were had been around. So Encino yep. Man or whatever. Uh, <laughs> still love those all those movies from that. Oh yeah, for that era. <laughs> sure. And even like just the main four girls, you know, Rita Wilson, Rosie O'Donnell, Millie Griffith, uh, Demi Moore, mm-hmm. and one person that I cannot believe I never noticed that it was her until this and until I was like, oh my god, I'm so dumb. Is that Sam's little sister Angela? Is Rumor Willis? <laughs> Rumor Willis, which is Demi Moore Moore's, and, uh, yeah, and Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis's yeah. daughter. Mm-hmm. Her first sure, role when sure. she was five. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, I'm so dumb. I never caught on to that. Sure. And, you know, honestly, I that's not a name that popped into my mind. But, you know, that I look on here, it's like, oh, yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. The House Bunny. I actually kind of thought that movie was funny. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the whole nine yards. Sorority Rose striptease. <laughs> <gasps> That's right. Yeah, she is, isn't she? But I'm just, I just felt kind of dumb for not realizing that it was, it was, you know, Demi Moore's daughter playing the little kid. Right. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Duh. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like the, because Stand By Me more or less ignores sex. Uh, it's just not something that, I mean, they have like one little conversation about yeah, it and that's it. Yeah. About Annette's tits. That's about it. Annette's tits are well, great. And, <laughs> and the um, Cobra's talking about. <laughs> well, the, and the Cobra's, but that's not the kids. That's not the kids. Um, right. Whereas, because I don't think, I don't think honestly, 12 year olds in 1960 thought about it as much as 12 year olds in 2023, because we're just so freaking inundated with it all the time now. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, I remember being in sixth grade and 12 and kind of thinking a little bit girls were still kind of yucky. I I mean, come on. I mean, this is just I I think there's been a change. And my wife and I actually had a brief conversation about that this morning and where I where I said, yeah, we're going to talk about stand by me in now and then it's just and some for some reason we were talking about you know trying to remember what we were like when we were 12 and it's like and she said probably not thinking about sex as much as as 12 year olds now and i was like (laughs) and and, and she was right on though she's absolutely right on it just wasn't something that was as big of a consideration i don't think for kids previously before this sort of current generation i mean i yeah i i i've overheard sixth graders talk Talking about stuff that's like they have no business talking about, in my opinion. And I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be a prude here, but good God, you're 12. Be a kid. I know. I know. <laughs> so. And anyway. even if we did have those conversations, it was innocent stuff like in this, in this movie where it's like, wait, okay. Doesn't your mother tell you anything about like, you know, that kind what a of penis stuff. looks yeah, like? <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? It's like what she talks about. It's so small. It's like, it's, it's like, well, when the it, guy has a heart on. Hard on. It's like, yeah, she holds her fingers like 13 inches apart. I'm they like, get I'm this like, big. They get this big. I was like, <laughs> all right. Well, um, it's rare, but I suppose it does happen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, wow. So that was funny. So those kinds of conversations felt very authentic, though. Yeah. And these are the kind of, those are the kinds of like innocent, you know, like, 
like I said, again, curiosity type conversations mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. have where you're you don't really know what you're talking about. Exactly. Time. And you well, know, and, I, and you know, you don't. And you're trying to sound like you know more than you do or have more experience than you do. Right. Like Teeny's whole character is like she's mm-hmm. super interested in like sex and boys mm-hmm. and already, you know. Sure. And, and not in a like weird unhealthy way it doesn't seem to me though you know it feels very authentic yeah um i do love the conversation between uh bonnie hunt and her (laughs) daughter bonnie hunt's scene in this just really brief like even it's even kind of like a little flashback scene like or something the way that it's presented um, of uh they're all showing like the differences of like how each of the girls lives you know teeny's very obsessed with like um hollywood and i like the line that um sam in the voiceover has about teeny too is like something about her or her her parents were always like off you know, having parties. They were country club parents and something. And she says, you know, typical upbringing for actors and pathological liars. <laughs> right. And so you kind of get a little sense of like what each girl is like. Um, Roberta, you know, lost lost her mom when she was young and she lives in a family full of boys. So she's much more of a tomboy. And then yeah. you get Chrissy in her really pink room, canopy bed and everything, brushing her hair, counting the brushes. So mm-hmm. she's very like meticulous and everything. And then her mom comes in. <laughs> It kind of it shows like Chrissy kind of has like an aversion to like germs and like being dirty uh-huh. and like she's very uh, girly in the movie and you definitely see where she gets it from her mom. Yeah, this conversation has always made me laugh and it's just the way that Bonnie Hunt delivers it too. <laughs> Every woman is a garden. Everyone has a garden. Oh, okay. Every woman has a garden. She right. has a garden. Yeah, okay. She needs a big hose to water it. <laughs> Or a little one. As long as it as works. As long as it works. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's um, funny. That is not really a, funny. Not a terrible analogy, but um, also not really. A little <laughs> oblique. <laughs> if you're talking about that stuff, you need to use yeah. the right terminology. Yeah. Though I gotta say, one of the things that a lot of coming of age, even Stand By Me does this a little bit in the fact that Gordy grows up to be the writer which, you know, I, I get, you know, a lot of times, you know, kids who grow up to be writers, right, like to write stories when they're young. Stephen King, you know, drew that from his own life. But at the same time, one of the things is like all of the traits that they have when they're little, all the things they're interested in at this age, that's what they grow up to be. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, and it's just that that happens in so many movies. And I'm kind of like. I mean, that's that's how it actually happens. It's not, it never happens. Let's face it. I mean, we're, when you're talking about, I mean, even like broadcast news. I mean, it, they, they show them exa- how they are when they're kids, right. and that's exactly, exactly the, same. the same when they're adults. I think that is ridiculous, and that's one of the things that I see in movies like this that kind of... And I it's not it. just this movie. I'm not, I'm not bagging on it in this movie so much, but it's just like, come on. So the one who's interested in Hollywood becomes a movie star, and this one wants to be a doctor, and this one... Yeah, it's like, come on. You know, That is another problem I have with this movie, or something I just don't get, at least. Yeah. Is at the beginning when they're adults and they're all, uh, it's uh, Rita Wilson and um, Rosie Donald, they still live in their childhood area. Yeah. Uh, she still lives in her childhood home, which, God, I can't even imagine. <laughs> no, there, yeah. I... She, 
How does she look at the magazine cover that clearly has one of her best friends that is on her way to visit her there? And she calls, she acts like she doesn't know her. I didn't even, yeah. She she looks at a, a magazine cover that's got um, Teeny on it. And sure, she's like, yeah. can you believe this tramp? Like, what a guy is seeing her. And it's like, seriously? <laughs> I don't get that connection. And then like five minutes later, she shows up and she's like, oh my gosh. Like, that's her. <laughs> How how do you not know that? Okay, that's I I know. One Especially, plot I, mean, hole. I don't know like, about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty big. Yeah. Anyway, but I, I didn't looking... even I didn't even draw that conclusion. But what, what you know, I get it though. I mean, but like I said, I only seen it once. Yeah, and something that I was thinking about this movie, what really appeals to me about it, maybe is not so much the the overall story. Um, it's one of those movies that has a special little moments. Yeah, in com- it's the I same as Camp- Stand by Me. Yes, it has mm-hmm. like really special conversations, really profound conversations for kids mm-hmm. to have too. And I also kind of like, and it's a similar thing again in Stand by Me, where I think mostly what this is about is coming of age, like in the most literal sense of like, like actually growing up and leaving fantasy and myth and stories behind and mm-hmm. realizing the reality of things. Yes. I think that is what this is mostly about. It's about, you know, breaking from those childhood fantasies about, you know, the accident that killed Roberta's mom. You know, an angel didn't come down and save her. She was trapped there for an hour. You know, Crazy Pete is not just like this mythological figure that they need to be scared of. You know, he's just a guy that's like hiding from the outside world because of this horrible tragedy that happened to his family. You know, the the ghost of of dear Johnny didn't break his tombstone and the, you know, move the, the telescope and all that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things I really like about it. You know, I got to say for me, crazy Pete is a lot like Boo Radley in To Kill a Mockingbird. There's sort of this frightening character that lurks mm-hmm. that you hear stories about, but you don't know really anything about him. And then, you know, they have the moment where uh, this he is. Saves I'm spoiler alert for both uh, this and uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, where Boo Radley saves one of the characters, and I kind of knew that was coming. I, mm-hmm. I got to admit, when I when I saw the the, the water coming, oh, Boo Radley's gonna. I mean, Crazy <laughs> Pete is gonna come and save her, just right? like you say, Jim. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was just is this it's that kind of thing. So and and then that moment where you see oh the the reality of of yeah. who this is you know and so there there's some derivations obviously that are happening from uh, from other things but i think the authenticity of the relationship between the kids is what really works in this movie for me uh, you know i mean sometimes sort of emotional stuff is a little fireworksy and a little flashy um like okay when when she goes off about her mother and she breaks in the mirror and yeah, I mean, it's a really emotional scene and it's a good scene. I especially like it after they show her after the mirror has been cracked and they show, you know, her the way she's reflected in the mirror is sort of broken too. Mm-hmm. That's cool. But it's, you know, but then in Stand By Me, it's just like he's sitting down next to a tree and he's crying and you feel it deeply emotionally anyway. It doesn't yeah. need all the extra 
<laughs> you know, going, it doesn't, you know, I, I think for me, I guess there are elements of this movie that just kind of feel like it has to go the extra mile when maybe it didn't um, because, because <laughs> okay. it's there in the performances mostly. I mean, I don't know if Christina Ricci is reaching as deep as River Phoenix for her emotional outburst, but it's not that she's bad. I, I don't think I she that. is at all. I don't think she's bad at all. This is, I mean, I'm, I, I'm not meaning to, I'm not trying to shit on your movie. I promise. I'm, I'm just saying, I guess I didn't feel some of those things as deeply as I do. I but see that's that. No, also, I agree. Okay. Okay. That's, that's fair. But I, but I also realized that I am not a 12 year old girl <laughs> and I didn't see this until I was 45 years old. So, <laughs> I agree. so, Com- so, so you know what I mean though? I, I mean, no, yeah. I, like yeah, literally yeah. comparing the two, I, I think it's just a different in the oh, totally, talent yeah. maybe at that time, especially well, I mean, River Phoenix. Who, I mean, who's come on. River Phoenix? Right. I mean, there's no one who is River Phoenix. After watching like yeah. his emotional scenes and then these, it's like, yeah, that's you can't really top that. I understand. No, I, I get that. I, I almost Absolutely. wish I had watched this first, <laughs> you know, because I think I maybe I would have liked it a little more. I mean, I did like this movie. I, I, I'm and like I said, I I like there are things about it that I have criticisms about. I'm not gonna sit here and rank on the movie. That's not what I'm because I like the movie and I actually just kind of. I want to get this out of the way so we can sort of focus on some of those things. <laughs> is that is that cool? I know. <laughs> okay. Is that cool? I don't want yeah. to. Yeah. Because I've already said, you know, like, like you said, it's those little moments. It's those conversations mm-hmm. that those little elements, I think, are, are some of the best things, you know, in this. And for me, maybe the overarching narrative doesn't necessarily work as well as those moments, you know, that I think are so good. Uh, like, I love the conversation. I love, you know, when uh, Samantha, the mom brings home Hank Azaria. <laughs> and that whole scene, I think, is terrific. You know, he's so, he's trying to. Trying so hard. He's trying he's so, so defiant. hard. Yeah. yeah. And you can see he's not a bad guy, but she will see him as a bad guy no matter what. Yeah. She can't because he's yeah. not her dad. My and dad's going to take us there. Yeah. <laughs> and can I say, Hank Azaria, that dude is ripped. I know, right? <laughs> when he takes I off like, his shirt. Jeez. Gosh, he comes, <laughs> across, like this, comes across as this skinny little guy and is like, oh, <laughs> he's like, That was definitely a man. surprise. <laughs> <laughs> And this kind of has the same thing, too, where Teeny and Sam are kind of more the best friends and yeah. uh, Roberta and Chrissy team up a little bit more, too. Right. And one of my favorite conversations and one of my favorite just observations that the character makes is when they're in the they're like they go out to try out the treehouse that they were hoping to buy. You know, it, this is mm-hmm. the same thing where it's like there is an end goal. But again, yeah, it is all about the journey that they took to get there. They want to get the treehouse. They want to solve this mystery and everything but that conversation... I think that's also an interesting thing to bring up real quick just real quick is okay. the difference <laughs> between the boys and the girls as far as the treehouse goes because the boys they their treehouse is garbage i mean it is literally built out of <laughs> <True>. whatever scraps <laughs> they can that. <laughs> find they've got like corrugated you know tin roofing and they've got you know scraps of plywood and all this crap you know that they've put 
together into their treehouse, and the girls are saving up to buy their treehouse from Sears and Roebuck. Right. I just think that <laughs> it's is like super nice one, clean, <laughs> white. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I think that is really f- kind of a funny comparison. Um, <laughs> I, I think about that because it's only in that one scene at the beginning. Really? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but uh, when they. I guess they kind of sneak into wherever, wherever it's on display or whatever in the middle of the night. And they have that conversation where um, Sam talks about you know, her dad moving out and, and getting a mm-hmm. divorce. And I, I always liked this, but this was this time I felt like, okay, that's really smart. And like, how come nobody has ever like said anything like this before? Cause Sam talks about like, I, why do I have to be different from everybody? Why can't, you know, m- my life or my family just be perfect? Like the birdie bunch. And they go through like all these different TV Widowed. families. Everyone that are, was a widower. Yeah. <laughs> every, all these different TV families that are supposed to be so perfect and ones that you want to emulate. And it's like, well, no, like they're, they're all like not normal nuclear mm. families like we're right. led to believe you know on yeah. the outside it's and she has a perfect line you know like there are no perfect families it's normal for things to be shitty which is just kind of how it is yeah and again it's sort of like the am i weird conversation well yeah, yeah. but every but everybody's a little weird <laughs> teeny doesn't have she has both of her parents but they're never around they don't really parent her so she doesn't have like right. a perfect thing berta's mom passed yeah. away Chrissy's yeah. mom is freaking weird and won't yeah. you know, tell her the truth about biology or her body, which she right. really needs at this age. My God, come on, woman. <laughs> it's true. I, I like Samantha's mom thing, too, because, you know, after the divorce, she starts dressing like Nancy Sinatra, they say. <laughs> it's like, could her shorts Gosh. be shorter or her boots be longer? <laughs> I think that's pretty funny because, I mean, it, it, there's a, sort of that idea, you know, touching on, you know, this woman, she's trying to attract again you know she's she hasn't as a as a married mother she i guess didn't feel the need to or whatever and now she's like either feels the need or it's a sense of i'm free to do this yeah it's and and it's not really clear which and it could be either it could be both you know it's i think it's an interesting sort of character trait that they give her that embarrasses the hell out of her mom (laughs) that's her kid you know i mean (laughs) How tall are those boots? How short yeah. is that skirt? Yeah. yeah. I think it feels a lot like freedom because... Um, yeah, I know. A, I think so too. Because um, another one of my favorite just little moments that even though this does deal with you know serious issues too, divorce and, and death of mm-hmm. a parent mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, they still keep it kind of light and even um, within those serious moments to where like maybe you, you don't feel it as, as strongly as you do in Stand By Me. Like, you know, again, to make the comparison that maybe sure. it is a little bit stronger. I agree. But um, I like the moment when Sam is just up reading in bed and you can hear the parents fighting in, right. in the background. Mm-hmm. And then um, her Angela, her little sister, comes in and doesn't say a word. You know, she's just like cute as a little button. And, you know, Sam knows exactly what she wants. And she like lets her crawl into bed with her, you know, for for comfort because they can both hear the parents fighting and it's yeah. it's hard for them. And her voiceover is very blasé, but it's also like, damn, that kind of sucks when she says that you know her parents have been fighting for as long as she can remember so it didn't even really bother her and she said you know there's comfort in consistency which like that's not a good thing you know to grow up with that so yeah that's right you know i gotta say i think my favorite passage of this movie though is where they are on the journey Mm -hmm. uh on the bikes and pretty much all the way through like the softball game and the fight they have 
I think that's my favorite sort of passage of the movie. That's the part that feels really sort of authentic and summer kids yeah. together to me. You know, they're you know riding their bikes and going down to the s- swimming in the pond. And now the thing is, you know, Roberta. But there's some profound things like R- Roberta. You know, uh, diving in and being mm-hmm. like. And then not coming up and pretending to be dead. And the the the, the voiceover says, which Dibby Moore is weird for the voiceover to me. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Something about it. It's just weird. I don't know. But it says she kept trying to make death funny. And I think I'm, I'm going to blaspheme here for a moment. Okay. So the first time I saw Harold and Maude, that really bothered me about that movie because it's got so m- it starts out with the kid pretending to commit suicide Mm -hmm. and then he keeps doing it. And it's, and this is supposed to be uproariously funny. Well, it's like having known more than one person who's committed suicide. I just was really bothered by that. And the thing is, I realize now having seen the whole movie and the ending and everything that happens in it, realizing that that is the point. I understand that now. I'll watch it again with different eyes. But that first time, I was really kind of offended by that movie, I'll, I'll have to admit. Because I know it's everyone considers it a masterpiece and all that, which I understand. But it really bothered me. Makes sense. So this scene kind of made me think of that. You know, just that idea of someone who's experienced deep tragedy trying to make death seem funny. Um, That's how they're coping and reacting with this thing that occurred. I mean, this horrible thing. And the fact later when she finds out the truth in the newspaper archive, what happened is pretty devastating. I don't even know if that's really what she's trying to do. I don't think she's trying to make it funny. She's. I think she's trying to understand I'm just, it yeah i'm going by what yeah the voiceover says yeah yeah and i don't really i don't really see that as what she's doing she's trying to make it easier i think for her to she's trying to relate to her mother connect with her in some way Possibly. too i think yeah. yeah um now the scene right after that too i love where they're spying on the boys <laughs> and because i mean th- th- this is almost like stand by me is happening you know off screen of this right you know (laughs) because there's the 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 wormers which is uh they're all brothers like in the which is which is the one thing which is the one thing it's like sure they made them brothers but i think if they it makes more sense to me that they're just friends but um (laughs) because i wouldn't hang out with my brothers like that honestly but you know hey that's just me i wouldn't hang Um, out with my friends like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i don't know if i do that either i don't know if i do yeah probably either one honestly the, the, but I like that the Wormers are sort of set up as sort of like they might be the villains of the piece early on. But in this scene, you just see them being boys and being yeah, being kids, kids. They are and being free. they're not really bullies. They're just you they know. just annoy them. They throw yeah like, balloons yeah. filled with Jello at them, <laughs> you know, and pudding that comes later. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, it was Jello. No, no, I'm she saying she realized she realized that pudding from, pudding has a better consistency. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got a heavier, more realistic texture. <laughs> but I mean, this this whole idea, you know, they're seeing, you know, the the girl seeing seeing a seeing a dick penis. for the yeah for the first you know and the that kind of thing. yeah. Again, it's not being it's not about being weird or anything. It's just it's not even being a, about being sexual. No, exactly. not really. It's just about yeah. curiosity and like uh, yeah. learning about the other sex and everything, and just Chrissy I mean, being. It's a little. It's a little bit of a so you know the little 
little kid innocent. Yeah. It sounds so weird saying this as an adult, but, you know, I show you mine, you show me yours, you know, that kind of thing. I kids mean, do that. I mean, that's uh, just, kids do that. I mean, the first time I saw I saw that, I was like, wow, what happened? You know, it's like, wow, it's different. You know, it wasn't like <laughs> there was nothing sexual about it. I mean, it was just yeah. like our neighbors were girls and it was just like, oh, that's weird. It's just a, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it's just a it different and yeah. curious, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. <laughs> and Chrissy not knowing anything is yeah. just yeah. so funny. She's yeah. very obviously the Vern, like the goofy <laughs> one mm. who's like just kind of there for fodder. But she's still, sure. she still has her moments too. Every, again, it's another one where like everybody gets their little moment to shine mm. here. Yeah, all the characters yeah. do. Yeah, but I mean, and then you know, finding the the, the you know the big books or the newspaper. I love you know research like that. In research, old movies, research you know, scene in the library where, where, with the giant got, books with all the newspapers. Yeah, the uh. o- the the only thing that would make it better is if it was microfilm. If it was but, a microfilm. You know, <sighs> Uh, that that would be amazing, but but you they're know. in a dusty library basement yeah. with ah, uh, it's so yeah. awesome. I love it. You know the page, page you couldn't tor- tear out the pages if it was on microfilm, right? Um, but <laughs> but you know then Brendan Fraser, you know the, just running into this this Vietnam vet on the way home is uh, is an interesting sequence. And it's like hey, I got news for you. Your parents aren't always right. It's another example of their reality being broken because sam mm-hmm. is even asking stuff about the war it's like i thought we were you know doing good i thought we were gaining ground over there and he has to be like you know don't believe anything anybody tells you that's not how it's really like over yeah. there kind of thing yeah. too and yeah they right. do have the conversation about like you know your your parents don't know anything and sam is immediately understanding that no shit <laughs> Right. And I right. like the little moment between the two of them. They're also trying to smoke again. Right. <laughs> little kids trying to smoke. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> well, they couldn't even put, if they made this movie, they couldn't, now, they even, couldn't even, they even put, put inhale. it in the movie. <laughs> They, they couldn't even, even put inhale, it in. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, movies are rated PG-13 for smoking now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess this is probably Smoking PG-13. stunts your growth. Chrissy is perfect. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, the waitress, Janine Garofalo, is also, you know, like a tarot reader. <laughs> so they kind of. She's a witch. They're still kind of, they're still kind of believing in these sorts of things. Well, yeah, they have the conversation, uh, well. too, when they're doing, like, the, uh, the Cosmo quiz. That's another, like awesome like girl scene that's oh that's a great scene that's, a that's great absolutely scene. Yeah. what we did <laughs> yeah again trying to sound more older and more experienced than you really are like that's another thing that she says in the voiceover too that i really like at the end of the movie where it's like we all wanted to be the same like we all wanted to act the same and she says something else too and she's uh, talking about her parents being divorced she didn't want to tell anybody because the last thing i wanted was to be different from my friends mm-hmm. and that's just another thing that you kind of go through because i remember doing like the exact same thing like i was i don't think i was ever really my own person when i was around my my friends i was always trying to emulate whoever i was around at the time sure pretty much sure yeah i, I definitely have felt that way too yeah mm-hmm. because i don't know it, sometimes where... i still feel that way honestly oh i know yeah yeah i don't know if it was because like i i it was probably because i just didn't feel you know comfortable like truly being who i was i didn't like who i was I, or i definitely was just like i don't think anyone is actually going to like who i really am so i better try to be like this other person who's way cooler than me who i perceive I- as way cooler than me <laughs> 
I remember even things like, you know, someone, I would say, yeah, I really didn't like this movie or that movie. It's just, and my friend would say, I liked it. And then I'd say, well, it was okay. Oh, yeah. So even, <laughs> even something as innocuous as that, you know, it, it was like, have your own opinion, you know, have mm-hmm. your own feelings about something. It's okay. I even remember what the movie was. It was big. I didn't like big when I first, <laughs> when I was a kid. Uh, but then now I, now I love it. I think it's wonderful. But, uh, but back then it was just like, and my friend said, I liked it. And I was like, well, it was okay. Yeah. I, I, it was weird. The things that stick in your head. I, I remember all of my friends all had like these really unique tastes and interests to them. But I, mm-hmm. I never felt like that person because I was always trying to be into like what they were into to be cool like that. You know, like my friend Katie, who I think listens to the podcast, actually, sometimes she okay. was she was always a big fan of the Beatles. And like that was kind of her thing when she was younger, like when you were like, when most kids aren't into that kind of music. She was. Sure, sure. And so, so I was like, I, yeah. oh. I need to be cool like that too. I need to have an interest like that. You know, I just, everybody was always cooler than me and um, you definitely did not want to be different. You wanted to fit in so much. It's always about fitting in. And that's what this story is about. It's about breaking, still being together, but, you know, breaking away and becoming your own person. Oddly enough. Being okay with that. When I was around this age, the thing that I found that made me unique in a lot of my friends' eyes was the fact that I read, like, exclusively Stephen King. <laughs> Maybe that was my thing, yeah. Uh, it, it was one of those things. That was things. me, too. And yeah. do you know what is so funny? 25 years later, or 20 years later, I go to my reunion. I see my friend uh, from sixth grade. The way it worked was I had a, I had a school... Uh, that I went to an elementary school and then like half of us went to one junior high and half of us went to the other junior high, but then we all came back to the same high school. Mm-hmm. So there was this group of us that were the, together all the way through, you know, and she was one of those people and I still see her every now and then. It's really <laughs> weird because she's had kids in my school, <laughs> you know, at various times that, that I work at. And she says, I started reading Stephen King because of you and I still read Stephen King. And it was like, huh, maybe I do have a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I never thought of myself as having a thing. I never thought, I mean, I I was, I was a guitar player. They, people knew I did that, but I didn't really do it publicly that much, Uh, you know, different things like that. But uh, you know, I was the horror kid. Hey, I'm cool with that. I'm still yeah, the horror kid. Maybe. And when I finally came back to being the horror kid again, that was like, hey, I am who I am. That's what it felt like. And so maybe that was, was just that was kind of the cool. movie kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's how and, I, I felt like that all through high school, though. I just I always felt like a follower or maybe mm-hmm. it, I just couldn't see myself the way other people saw me. Maybe it was the yeah. thing. Yeah. Maybe I did have a thing. Maybe movies and Stephen King was yeah. my thing. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that was my thing too. Was I was uh, I was the movie kid. I was always. I mean, even even when I felt like I was not necessarily myself entirely at different times of life, mm. I was always the movie guy, and I was always yeah. seeing them. I was always seeing the movies that no one else would see. <laughs> like, I was always kind of like the go-to person. 
<laughs> or I loved, I loved the movies that no one else. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah. what have you seen lately? It's like, well, I I saw this movie uh, three times in the theater that just killed me. It's called Magnolia. Have you heard of this? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I saw that. That movie's awful. It's terrible. It's like, well, no. then, then we don't need to have a conversation. Is what basically what my <laughs> reaction was. Anyway. Or I just remember getting a text from my friend one time randomly. Asking me who the main actors in The Godfather were for some reason because they were trying to think of somebody. So I was like, Al Pacino, James Caan, Marlon Brando, like, who do you need to know? <laughs> Robert Duvall. <laughs> and he was, they were just like, James Caan, that's who I was trying to think of. Thanks. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was just the one to come to, I guess. With I the, guess so. <laughs> with the questions. <laughs> that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was the guy who would post things. Okay, so I'm my Facebook was where I sort of realized that I have nothing in common with anybody uh, that I knew. And, and so I would say like, okay, hey, my wife really knows me. She bought me the hidden fortress for Valentine's Day, you know, and everyone was like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> Kira Kurosawa movie, um, but uh, oh, okay, gotcha. yeah. So it was. <laughs> I haven't seen that one like, yet. It's like, hey, I'm watching Seven Samurai. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, we are really far afield here, but That's not okay. that far. Not that far. We were talking about you know that. That's what the movie is about, though. It really is about that. And there is a great movie scene. I love the movie scene where she's sitting on the roof watching yes. uh, the the drive-in. <laughs> Yeah, love story on the or on the drive-in, and I've never seen love story. All I know is, all love I know is never having to never say, having you're, to say sorry. you're sorry. It's like no, it doesn't. What kind of crazy? <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen What's Up Duck yet? Yes. Okay, that's my favorite ending. I love that ending. Love means never having to say you're sorry. And then Ryan O'Neill, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That is that is just, I love that ending. I love it. It's the best. I do like the movie scene. I like the softball scene too. Oh, I love the softball. Get a touchdown, Roberta. Come on, Roberta. Touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> Again, Chrissy is the best. <laughs> Roberta, remember you're a lady. And she goes and like socks the kid <laughs> right in the face. Ah, That fight scene is so good. So, I mean, basically all of that is my, is my favorite. I mean, just having those, um, those four characters interacting fully together is, is really, I, I like that a, a, a lot. And then, but you know, when they start breaking off, I like that too, though, because I like the love story scene. I like, uh, Excuse me. I like Roberta and Scott Warmer. Roberta and Scott having this scene on the playing basketball and on the swing and uh, kiss. If you mention this to anyone, I'll kill you. Um, is, is <laughs> I'll beat great. the shit out of you. Right. That's what it was. <laughs> um, but like you said, you know the TV families are the widower, 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 widower. Yep. I like the scene with Roberta and Scott because it's it's all that stuff that you know you've been talking about with your friends you know with your girlfriends we talk about boys and stuff but like actually in the moment they're both like um i don't know what to do <laughs> and i like the way that there was like his his slow kind of like before he says her name and she goes roberto and she goes what <laughs> immediately because they're both so nervous and it's so cute <laughs> because um, it's a good scene yeah well because they do that thing too where you know they have this like silly like boys versus girls rivalry mm -hmm. and they're always like oh, Roberta's like oh, I just thought you hated me and he's like well so did I but I don't and now we're growing up and kind of yeah. learning to that I kind of like you now <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. it's so cute it's so perfect yeah and it's sweet and it is innocent 
You know, yeah. it's it's not. I mean, that's one of the things I I like about how it deals with that stuff is there is yeah. an innocence to it, and it's not about loss of innocence. You know, it's not like no, it's not anything traumatic. It's just some like discovery and curiosity. And really, you know, Stand by Me isn't a loss of innocence moment either. You know, it's it's you're facing things that are scary and frightening, but they're still kids and they know it. They turn back mm. to kids. It's like you know, suck my fat one, yeah, biggest one in four <laughs> counties. You know, yeah. I mean. It's, it's, kids again you know and i think that is a an important element of that as well i mean it's just yeah growing up and you can yeah. still hold mm-hmm. on to that part of you i mean innocence doesn't have to completely go away yeah and i do like that scene too because um after they kiss and he's just like oh, that was great and she just goes it was okay yeah <laughs> he's like still he's it's so cool good about it it's good I like it's that perfect all. for her for her character too because she's like the, the the tough one and it's also yeah. interesting that you know she's the one that actually has the first kiss and not yes. like teeny or something yes it's good yeah that, <laughs> that's a good. nice thing um now the, the friendship bracelet and the Losing the bracelet down the drain, actually going into the sewer and the flash flood and all that stuff, that that's um I was my my note is is Pennywise down there. Um <laughs> But I got that's pretty dramatic. I, I, I don't know that's one of those moments where I've gotta like I don't know if it needs to be this <laughs> dramatic, <laughs> you know. I mean, You're dogging on my movie again. But <laughs> no, but I'm at sure. the same but at the same time, you do get the Pete thing um, mm-hmm. where he he shows up and confronts them and, and says you know why and they actually talk to him and ask him yeah. questions like a person and not like yeah. this myth yeah. that they've been led to believe their whole life that's right that's right he's he's chopper he's yeah <laughs> he's not you know <laughs> he's, he's the beast he's, yeah the beast he's boo radley you know he's like i said in home alone the old man in home alone with the shovel you know who <laughs> the stories that are built up about him, yeah. you know, keeping the dismembering children and putting them in his salt <laughs> bucket <laughs> or whatever, you know, um, it, it's that kind of a thing. But, you know, it's it's I like it in this. And it's like, why are you scared of me? Why are you do you treat me the way you do? Because you only come out at night and it's weird. It's creepy. It's, yeah. it's different. Yeah. We don't understand it is what it comes down to. I really like that element of it. I mean diving into the sewer to save them is a lot but um it's <laughs> but i get it i get it i mean it's a harrowing moment and i'm sure i'm all for putting children in danger <laughs> kill more kids in movies please in movies <laughs> in long, movies. long pause. i added i added in the caveat movies. In yeah. movies. <laughs> <laughs> so so i mean the the and that's all, I like the crazy Pete element, but you know what I mean about having a Boo Radley element to it. Yeah. So, uh, but it's it's good in, in this. And But at, the, at that moment, I also knew, and they also say the name of the f- father earlier, Pete, Peter Peterson's. or something like that. Yeah, or something like that. And so they, so I knew it was like, oh, so crazy Pete's the father of the kid who died. Right. <laughs> you know, and she so. She didn't catch on until. I know. And none of the their- others. And none of the others <laughs> catch on to that. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Crazy Pete is there is dear Johnny's father. It's like <gasps> what? Sorry. <laughs> one I, thing I, I never the caffeine's kicking in, I think. <laughs> oh, one thing I didn't think of either, though, is when the guy when they were when they go to put 
he he comes in to put the new headstone yeah, in. Yeah. Or there's there's some shot where you can see the Dear Johnny headstone that they focus on because they they're another part of their like childhood fantasy things is that um Sam likes to lead them in seances where they try to talk right. to mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe and you know people like that but the mystery of the summer is I'm trying to figure out cuz all it says on this headstone is Dear Johnny and trying to and he was a kid. They saw they right. see that he was a kid when he died so they try to figure out what happened. But there is a shot of the dear Johnny headstone and then right next to it was probably his mother's headstone. <laughs> Be- right. It says exactly. Beverly Sims. Yeah. You think they would have noticed that it had the same date of death probably. <laughs> so they or something. But I mean <laughs> so things they, you they could don't have researched kids, Beverly Sims. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that's something I, I literally did not think of until this last time I watched it. I was like I, I see another headstone there. I bet that's okay. That would have been yeah. smarter of them to be more absurd. But they're kids. Again, it's a kids movie, whatever. That's not really what it's yeah. about. It's just something that I noticed that that was funny. Yeah, I, I guess it's a entertain. It's a good movie. Um, I don't care about any of these things that I'm noticing this time around. It's still, yeah, it's still the same for me. I wouldn't call it a perfect movie. Whereas for <laughs> me, Stand By Me almost perfect if not perfect so it's uh, so, but that's like i said i grew up with stand by me i did not grow up with this movie so i'm gonna see it differently than you will i concede that point that it's better yeah. but it doesn't that doesn't mean that there's not still but but the thing is i imagine you probably have more connection with yeah. this one than you do with with stand by me whereas i have more connection with stand by me than would ever have Absolutely. with this one even if i had seen it when I was young, even the the conversations that they have when they are when they're on their little journey and they stop for lunch and they're talking about their boobs and <laughs> yeah. it's such a such a fun little thing too. And Teeny is like, she's so excited. And she's like, because Roberta is the one that's actually developing first, and she like tapes her boobs down because right. she doesn't mm-hmm. want to you know, grow up as fast or whatever. Well, I think she wants that's to fit in weird... with her with her yeah. family too, which is all boys. All boys, yeah, yeah. You know. She doesn't want to be seen that way. I mean, which is, you know, just her character. And it's just, it's developing. And because I, like I said, I got my period when I was 10. So I was developing a little bit faster than other people. But, and it felt weird. You felt like kind of wrong and different sometimes. Sure. But when you did actually have those conversations with your close friends, it was, it was always like, like it is in this movie where <laughs> we're just like talking about our boobs. And it's like, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, I definitely connected with those elements of it, and just like yeah. having the kind of curiosity and the the kind of relationships that you had at that age. I was very mm-hmm. much the same as this, and just the kind of life that you had at that age. Never have friends like you had when you were twelve. Yeah. Just going out on your bikes and doing, not really having a plan for the day, but just going and meeting people and just figuring out some game to play and mm-hmm. hanging out, playing mm-hmm. two square in the street until the street lights Absolutely. came on and it was time for dinner. That was that was life, and that's what this movie kind of uh, represents too. Even like um, yeah, the I mean, staying, this is staying something... up late in the summertime and like uh, yeah, those warm summer nights and like the cicadas, like when they they have the mm-hmm. the basketball scene that Robert was playing basketball like in the middle of the night and stuff I had moments like that too and it's just yeah. it's not just nostalgia either it's like no. I, I did truly relate and still kind of do to these characters and what they went through and it does seem like this kind of childhood seems to have lasted from sometime in the 50s you know post-war you know late 40s 50s 
all the way into the maybe early 90s. Yeah, I mean, the 90s. But before that, you know, the kid, you come home, you work on the farm, you, you do <laughs> the business, you you work with the business, you uh, those kinds of things. There's, there's sort of like the work involved. And then since then, honestly, it's it's screens, it's uh, video games. I mean, the Nintendo was wonderful. It came around when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there was sort of the beginning of the phasing out of this kind of existence, right, for children. And for kids to be kids, I mean, that was this is sort of a moment in time, really, you know, that happened in that era. Yep. And uh, I kind of feel lucky to have been a part of it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> because now I look at my own kids and it's not, I mean, with all this discussion about, you know, you don't want to just let your kids wander free because they might get picked up by some somebody and kidnapped or, you know, which I think is for the most part an irrational fear. Um, but I mean, even when I was in high school, I mean, what, what, what would you do? We'd hang out at the mall, you know. <laughs> Or something like that. You know, it, yep. was, it wasn't nature. Drop us, but off, it was, drop us off at the mall and come pick us up in a few hours. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, but we were kind of on our own so much yeah. more. It was much more relational kinds of growth um, growing up and it's going away. Yeah. And like we said in the Mitchells versus the Machines conversation, it's not that either one of those ways of growing up is better than the other. We just kind of have to accept that you know, it's it's changed and things are different for yeah. these kids now. And it's yeah. But like I said, it was that way for a very long time. And so yeah. now we're kind of seeing this this current generation and a half or so, you know, probably Zoomers and alphas, I guess, if you want. To, I don't know. I, I can't keep up anymore. They just are raising themselves, raising themselves, uh, quote unquote, differently than mm-hmm. we did. And frankly, our parents did, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's this has sort of been this long thing that has now come to an end, uh, essentially. Not entirely. I mean, obviously, there's always going to be kids on bikes. I think, hey, you know, maybe they'll see stranger things and think, hey, that's cool. I want to go do that. Do you it. see it way yeah. less nowadays. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I don't see kids riding their bikes around my neighborhood that much. And this is a great neighborhood for bikes, I tell you. My kids don't even know how to ride bikes. Sorry, uh, but it's true. Wow. So uh, Aiden wanted to, but we never really worked it out. Um, so some of that's my fault, I know, but it, it's just it's just an interesting change. I kind of wonder how many kids there are that I could go to and say, do you know how to ride a bike even? I, I think a lot of them might say no. Do you remember how cool you felt, though, when you could actually ride a bike for the first time? <laughs> I do. That was yeah. a very cool feeling. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a, it's things to ponder. Yeah. But anyway. Kids on bikes. Still cool movies. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm fading. We've talked about a few <laughs> of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. we talked a long time. We talked about E.T. We talked about this. Yeah. Um, so, we got our good kids on bikes things under our oh well we got one more kids on bikes things coming up in a in a couple of months here or a few weeks i thought you were changing that i don't know i haven't decided i'm glad i could introduce you to now and then even if you didn't love it but (laughs) at least you saw it i thought i I might be willing to give it another try (laughs) just mess with you I kind of figured that's how it would go, just because it's one of those where this is the guy you know, like right, right time, right age, you know, growing up with it. 
Like I said, I liked it about on par that I like <laughs> Practical Magic. I think they're fine. I like them. I enjoyed elements of them and thought other elements were kind of like, okay. <laughs> you know, that's... Fair. <laughs> okay. I'll accept that. <laughs> okay. Good. Begrudgingly. All right. Begrudgingly. Okay. But so. you cannot hate my next pick for the movie we're talking about the next time. I don't hate your next pick. I've seen your next <laughs> pick. So this was going to be sports movies, but I think we should say, no, take me out to the ball game. <laughs> okay. Because. Nerd. nerd yeah. Nerd. I could. Okay. I, I mean, I'll talk. About, I, I'm not going to go there. Never mind. What that Brian could make a decision on what sports movie he wanted to pick I for this. I could not make a decision on what sports movie <laughs> I wanted to pick. And I'll talk about why when we do the episode. <laughs> okay. But, but they both ended up being baseball movies. Baseball. So we're just going to call it baseball movies, I guess. Baseball. <laughs> Mine first? Sure. One of my favorite movies of all time. Like it ended up in my more forever favorites, even though it's. One I hadn't even realized was a forever favorite, but I mean, it absolutely is a classic, A League of Their Own from 1992. My choice is actually one that has become a recent favorite because the first time I saw it, I don't know that I really cared for it that much, but I just found myself drawn to it and I kept watching it, like just turning it on for comfort and for fun and everything. So I've decided... Finally, after going through many, many options over the past year <laughs> that we've been talking about doing a sports episode, yes, <laughs> to talk about Michael Ritchie's 1976 classic comedy, The Bad News Bears. I've only seen it once, so I'm looking forward to watching it again, because I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and we'll talk about what all those discards were, probably. <laughs> In the meantime, and why I had so much trouble finding a sports movie to talk about that I really, really loved. Plan. Um, we don't have any recommendations. I think I've mentioned yeah, a few. <laughs> you know, To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. Turning Red. Uh, I don't know. Coming of age movies are cool. My Girl. That's another huge one. My Girl. I, the first one. I. That's one that oh. came to mind, too. I thought that would be a terrific one. And I've actually revisited that one not that long ago and uh, a couple years ago. And it's just as effective on me mm. now as it was when I first saw it in the theater and cried my freaking eyes out. I have a novelization of My Girl. <laughs> I was like so into that movie. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> a, a it's a great one. I yeah. remember watching that one <laughs> not with a with a girlfriend in high school and I hadn't seen it in a long time and she's like I want to watch My Girl and literally FBI warning comes on and she starts crying. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh god, what have I gotten myself into?" And it turned out, yeah, she literally cried during the whole movie. That's love. So, yeah, because because it was like, and she she was going through some shit. I think it was. Like, I'll be honest. I don't know if she listens to the show. I highly doubt it. But uh, wow, it was um, it was something. It was something. I'm still kind of uncomfortable about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that but movie will have to come up later on. Yeah. I would love to talk about My Girl. I would love to talk about My Girl, too. That's a really good movie. All right, let's wrap it up. 
Let's socials. You can find me on all the socials at BrianWaves42. You can find me on Instagram, um, just Michelle Aiken over there. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at MovieLifePod. So, Michelle, what are we going to do? We will see you all next time. Bye. <laughs> Bye. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me So darling, darling, stand by me Oh, stand by me Oh, stand, stand by me Stand by me If the sky that we look upon Should tumble and fall Or the mountain should crumble See, I won't cry, I won't cry, no, I won't shed a tear just as long as you stand, stand by me. And Stand by me, stand by me, whenever you